on today's show. We are getting to know Will. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. And Will is kind enough to help us all make a million dollars, or were we saying ten million? What was the what, what was the floor of the money people are going to make by listening to you today? I mean, hopefully fifty million. Fifty million. Let's take it. <laughs> take it, Dibs. No, man. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, letting people get to know you, dude. I'm uh, I'm geeked to just. I'm. We, it's funny because I normally don't shoot the shit with somebody so much prior and i feel like we've spoken maybe an hour and a half already in two sessions so i'm just excited to i want to get something official yeah yeah well from the second that you picked up the phone when i called you back i feel like it's just been kind of non-stop conversation like it was almost like we were in the middle of a conversation when you picked up the phone and we had never spoken yeah so just stupid quick backstory i call you Go to voicemail, which I expect because it's like, who's whatever the seller. Screen and, screen and phone calls here. Yeah. And I didn't, when you emailed me, I didn't tell you I was in Delaware or whatever. So I'm on the beach with my dog. Dog takes a crap. I got my baggie with me. It's debatable whether the baggie is good enough to scoop poop or do you just let it be, right? So all this is going through my head. You call, I'm speaking to you. And then my dog takes the second crap, which never happens. So now I'm like trying to be decent and professional with you because I'm like, man, I want to impress this guy. Like make sure he knows he's not a scam. I'm walking, leaving dog crap on the on a populated beach. 
to get a bag and then some dude starts chasing me down. I've got earbuds in or I, yeah, earbuds in. So like, I can't hear the dude. I'm leaving a voice message for you. And I'm like, oh, you got a bag for me. Cool. Trying to be the guy like who purposefully is telling other people who really don't matter to me. I'm not intentionally leaving dog crap. You know, and then all that, like that was how the message ended. And then three minutes later, you were like, hell yeah, I'll call this guy back, <laughs> which, <laughs> which was awesome. And then from that point, I explained all that to you. And then we just spoke for like 45 minutes. We had a long virtual walk together on the beach. <laughs> That's exactly what we had. And it's funny because I actually love long walks on the beach. And when actually, so when we were talking at that time, I had been, I don't think I told you this. I've been daydreaming for like two years about moving to New Hampshire. No shit. And I, I don't like, I could tell you why New Hampshire, but I always feel like it comes off as a very strange place to think about moving to. Um, it comes off a little uppity. Does it really? I oh shit. I'm doing things right then. <laughs> <laughs> 50 mil in a New Hampshire home. That's no, for some reason, I feel like, like Maine and I know it's not, but like Maine, New Hampshire, Connecticut, like it's the, like almost like outreach of New York city where I feel like people make a ton of money in the city and then go get that like country life and all that okay. acreage. Yeah. So I did read that New Hampshire was essentially, I forgot what they call it. Uh, but it's one of those commuter places for Boston. Yeah. Right. And, uh, I would much rather live in New Hampshire than Massachusetts, gotcha. but, um, Boston's a cool place. I've been there a couple of times and it's, uh, I love those old places, you know, over here on the West coast, we don't really have old ass towns or, I mean, we do, we have, they're, they're ghost towns now, like yeah. no one fucking lives there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and anything that's old, I grew up in Vegas, so especially there, anything that's old, like past 20 years, they blow up and build something new there. So much money. Right. And so much and space. So, like we take yeah. space for granted on the, earth. so fucking dense over here, man. Yeah. Well, and that's a, another reason why I like New Hampshire. It's pretty spread out. A lot of property and properties were a lot cheaper, especially when I compared them, compared them to uh, organ prices. Now things have gone up recently, of course, but, uh, Long story short, when I talked to you on the phone that day and you told me you're on this beach in Delaware, I was just researching surfing in New Hampshire like that day. Really? Yeah. And I was blown away to know that there are surfers in New Hampshire. It's like a pretty tight knit group. Yeah, Not I, just New Hampshire, but also Maine and Massachusetts and the whole uh, New England. Yeah, I was I, I was literally just wondering. I wonder how long because we have a short season and I don't know if it's the continental shelf in Southern Delaware, but like we're more skimmers than surfers. We have shit mm -hmm. for a break. So it breaks literally yeah, yeah. right onto the beach, which I guess is why the skimboarders love it. Um, but do you know why there's like a surfing scene up there? Well, I think no matter if you're close to water, you're always going to have surfers, right? So like they're, they're going to make it work. When I watch these videos, okay, we have big, we have big wave competitions in Oregon. We have that fucked up continental shelf where it just drops off like 10 feet into the water and then it's deep as fuck. Yeah. And so you get big waves and you get like crazy swells, all this stuff. So, so we have that. Now, when I was watching videos of surfing in New Hampshire, these are not big waves. Like they're pretty mild, but they, they have a look to them. I'm not, I'm not like a, some huge surfer. I haven't surfed, well, I just surfed in Florida, but before that it had been a couple of years because I almost drowned the last time. But I'm not like a huge time surfer, so I don't know everything I'm talking about. But I like surfing. And when I was uh, looking into New Hampshire, I was like, what, they have like this big of a coast. It's like two inches. Yeah. So do they surf? 
and they do, and they have some really interesting looking waves that look fun. Now, here's the crazy thing. I suppose just like Oregon, surf season is in the winter. Really? We have crazy surfing in the winter, and it's like cold and rainy and windy and all of this stuff and dark. And it's the same thing over there, man. People are going into the water when it's uh, like five degrees out. Yeah. But the water's like 42. So it must feel kind of nice in the water at the very least. But these guys, I watched this little documentary, and these guys are talking about scraping ice off their boards before their session. <laughs> that is a fucking hard no. That's a completely different life. <laughs> Dude, that's such dedicate. I won't go for a jog if it's under 50 degrees. And I like I really like running. Like this winter I started kind of doing it, but like let it be 50, a little rainy, the wind's over 10 miles an hour. I'm mm-hmm. like, nah. And then if there's no sunlight, I'm like, nah, no, no, not at all. And like to do the surfing thing, because you're so out of con- out of your own control. It's almost like trying to catch a fly ball or a foul ball in a baseball game. You're just hoping. You constantly see these balls like go and you're like, did I time it right? Will this be the one? You second guess yourself. And like I have, I'm too high strung to enjoy the mellowness of surfing. I see. So it's interesting that you say that about the control thing. I've realized more and more how much I value control. I think most people probably do value control, whether they admit it or not. And a scary thing about life is there's very little that we have control over, yeah. right? When it comes to the ocean, I I love the ocean. I have a, a deep connection with the ocean. And what I love about surfing is one of the same things that I loved about sailing when I, I went sailing uh, once or twice. And it's that you have to, you like yield to the ocean's power, but flow with it. And uh, I think that kind of comes off as like new agey. And I don't know if we were recording when you had mentioned new age earlier, but that is definitely pretty new agey. Yeah. And I, but I think that's what's so interesting about it. You can't control the ocean, but you can control the way that, the way that you get into a groove with the wave, right? Or uh, with the current. It, I guess. I've never reached it. <laughs> everyone, like everyone around here talks about it. And, and I understand it. It's almost like the difference between like empathy and sympathy where like one of them, like I, I've experienced the emotion. So I feel your pain. Like I've yeah. had a loved one who've died. So I understand your hurt or just sympathy of like, that must suck. But I've never had yeah. anyone die in my life. Right. The, the surf vibe, I think is something I'm much more sympathetic to where I'm like, yeah, man, everything you're saying makes sense, but no. Okay. Like zero so emotional attachment. I, you've never surfed. Yeah, I've tried. I've never, I've never caught a wave and stood up. I've, okay. I've caught a wave. I've, I, dude, I was a fucking thirty-nine-year-old guy with some dude behind me standing up, pushing me <laughs> behind on a fucking like ten-foot longboard, and I yes. fell off. And then like I get to the shore, my daughter who's six at the time catches the fucking next thing and just like sail smooth right into me up on the board. And I'm like, never again. It's cause she's lighter, man. It's easier to stand up if you're lighter. My pride was so (laughs) hurt. I'm like, you fucking just learned to walk two years ago. And now all of a sudden you're surfing, but like now I couldn't, the timing is, I get decent timing with like, um, like body surfing, if you want to call it that, like just riding waves in and whatever, catching yeah. like a boogie board or a skim or um, a beater board. Yeah. 
but nah, man, I can't, I'm always too aggressive. And like what you were talking about when you got hurt, there's been several times that nose just gets over the break and it fucking flips you. And then there's like no water under you and it's just yeah. sand and rock and gravel. And it's like, why do I want to keep doing this? It's like, why is this fun? Yeah. Right. But then the dudes go out there and it just looks amazing when they're just feeling the flow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Riding it. It's, yeah. And there's something peaceful, like that, that's part of why I'm jealous too. Like the dudes are like, yeah, man, woke up at five, caught the sunrise, dolphins were going by me, centered myself. And it's like seven thirty, <laughs> and they're just so fucking peaceful. And you're like, your whole day is set. Like you go out there for an yeah. hour and a half and it's like, you're just set for the rest of the day. How can you be angry after that? It, right. Exactly. Um, I need to come out to Delaware and hang out with these guys. Yeah. yeah and I don't think they're like, there's literally like three surfing spots on the coast that's exposed. So they get very packed and then it can get aggressive yeah, um, from what I'm told. But like it's yeah. uh, when you're out there on your own and you feel like you've caught that moment that no yeah. one else has. It's almost yeah. like a little bit of like a fuck you specialness. Like the universe gifted this to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one else I get got that. This I think moment. that that's a really good way of putting it because there is this, there's this feeling. Like I said, man, I'm not like some crazy surfer. I don't do it. Yeah, every I know. We're both can. speculating, and I like we're romanticizing <laughs> it like it's the lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, every time I've surfed, even if I don't stand up, when you feel like you, there's a feeling when you catch the wave, when the wave is carrying you now, like you paddled perfectly, you caught it at the right time. The wave was like pregnant enough right before it breaks to, to pick you up. There's this like kind of jolt forward yeah. that is really addicting or addictive when you're like out there, you always want to get that again. And then when you fucking stand up, I stood up. So I was in Florida. I went surfing. I was in Florida for like four or five days. I went surfing pretty much every day. I even got sick and I would still go out and surf while I was sick. And I stood up like once, but I was chasing it every time, man, every yeah. time. I, I, but that's like what makes stuff in life worth it. The fact that you have to work for it because yeah. like if it, if it were easy and maybe it is easy to some people, I don't know. Like I still don't get the intricacies of two fins, three fins, the length of the board, like all that shit. It, I, I get lost in the details where other people know it. But the fact mm -hmm. that it takes that sort of work when you get it, and then when you make it look easy, it just makes it that much more valuable. You're like, I, I don't know if you ever master surfing, but it is one of those things where you can reliably control this yeah. uncontrollable and sporadic environment. And yeah, like, you see them do some crazy shit. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. And it's like, how did you even... And like, do you even know what trick you're going to do? Or like, did you have a routine out there? And they're like... You can't, you know, dudes who do go in these yeah. skim competitions, they're like, I got 10 minutes, man. You run out there and you got to deal with what you got. You're yeah. Like, You're not choreographed. He's like, oh, I got some like moves, you know, I know some stuff I want to hit, but like you can't just force it because then it looks forced. And the whole point is to flow. And I'm like, yeah, I I'm guess fucking in, lost. Yeah. In that way, it's like martial arts. Like if you were to be sparring in martial arts or something, it's not like you can go out there and do one of your forms, right? Like you have to go with, you have to respond to what the other guy's doing. Fuck you. Danielson says otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's, one kick. 
<laughs> it's it's like you have to you have to have the moves mastered, but it's not like you can go out there and do them in some specific order, yeah. right? Like not when it's real. Yeah. Not when you're fucking dropping in on a 40-foot wave. You know, Dude. you got to go with what that wave is telling you to do. So one time in my life, I got caught in a riptide. And like the, I, I don't know how big the waves are, but I'm, I very rarely, so I'm 5'10", buck 70, I jog. Like I'm not a great swimmer, but I'm in pretty good shape. Yeah. It was the one time in my life I got in the ocean. I had like, I felt fear. Like I was like, fuck man, I'm going Where like out. nothing that you do is moving you even anywhere half an closer. And it yeah, was and like getting tired and tired and tired. Man. And the worst part was I had my daughter and her friend out there and we were, so there was this like hurricane or some shit off the coast and the waves were cracking out and then like kind of coming in, but they were, you had to go out past where you could stand in order to catch the waves or else they were just crashing on you. So we'd yeah. swim out, it'd bring us in and we were having a good time. And then all of a sudden something shifted, man. And we were floating and it like, it was panic. And yeah. I, I very rarely experienced panic. And after that, I was like, I could never do like a 40 foot wave or a fucking jet ski drops me off. And yeah, like, I'm that. gonna go down a side <laughs> of a building that's moving. No, no yeah, way. Fuck that, dude. Those, dude, those, those people, man, are, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, I really wonder how much they think about like safety while they're doing it. Or are they just I don't think that you can. comfortable? I don't think you can think the way that we, I think that's almost the point. Yeah. I, it's like a, it's like an isolation tank. Like you don't go in there to think, you go in there to not think, right? I think it's the same thing, man. If they get stuck in their head thinking, they're going to bail. Yeah. It's just that feeling thing. I could never yeah. do that one, man. No, yeah. I'll, I'll stick with like a three foot wave and I'm good. Yeah, because when you stand on the board, really, you feel like it's a nine-foot wave, right? Because if you're six it feet, does feel a lot you're bigger. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how you embellish. It's kind of like embellishing um, fish, like fishing stories. We're like, yeah, dude, I caught like a fucking six-footer. It was really like yeah. a three-footer. It's the same shit. Yeah. When I, so I, I got caught in a riptide, too. That was how I almost drowned. And I tell people to this day, I was like, dude, the, the waves were like six, seven feet. I'm pretty sure they were like two and a half feet. You're like, <laughs> they were fucking tiny. <laughs> and it was in the bay. It wasn't even the ocean. <laughs> yeah. But I'll know, man, it, it's fun. It like, it does take you to this place of exaggeration. It, it's, it was weird, man. It was weird to feel fear. Cause I don't think I'd felt fear talking about like wanting control in your life and shit like that. Yeah. Like maybe one other time on a roller coaster, it was unexpected. Like my ass leaves the seat. And you're like, fuck, oh, yeah, man, yeah. am I too skinny for the bar? <laughs> but like, other than Instead, that, you have to be this high to ride. I am that high. What's going exactly. on? Exactly. Like, shouldn't there be a waist requirement? Like, what, <laughs> what can you be too skinny? But like, it was, it's so few and far between in my day and weeks and months where it's like, I feel fearful. It's almost like that fights and fight, fight club syndrome where you're like, mm -hmm. when's the last time you felt alive? Only when you face death type shit. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get it on the golf course. <laughs> I don't know, man. A sweet hole in one. You really had to flow with the wind and <laughs> fucking tee up and shit. I know. <laughs> Three Millers in. Yeah, man. I So, dude, tell me, even though the New Hampshire surf scene, but was that actually it? You just wanted to be the oddball surfer in this no, game of going no, no. to New Hampshire? Surfing, dude. 
like I said, I've been thinking about New Hampshire. I daydream about living in New Hampshire for like the last couple of years. The surfing thing only recently popped up. I didn't think about it before. New Hampshire, it was all this shit's going on. I live in Oregon, okay? And during COVID, that's when it all came up. During COVID, I live like 10 minutes from downtown Portland. And during COVID, we started having all these protests. And at night, they all turned into riots. And uh, in my my bedroom, we sleep with the window open because windows open in Oregon is a thing. It's always open. It's how you get fresh air. I tried to do that in Florida. I was like, can we open a window? So I was like, this guy thinks you can open a window for fresh air. <laughs> so uh, it's a thing here. So I open the window. And uh, that summer, man, that summer of 2020, every fucking night, I could just hear explosions and like, like they're not like super loud because it's not right outside my my window, but you hear them and you hear them all night long. And you, I, we heard them every night for like, it was like a hundred and something days, 120 days or 130 days straight. Not one day that they didn't riot. And they were riding downtown. They were fucking throwing firebombs and shit in the uh, police station and all of this. And I was like, this isn't my fucking scene, dude. Like... I'm not some fucking crazy radical fuck the government. Like I, I think there's virtues to having a government, but I'm also like, like I want to take care of myself. Yeah. And it started becoming pretty apparent that as far as Oregon goes, like, or as far as Portland goes, so we have like, Portland has a dispro- disproportionate amount of power over the whole state. As far as Portland goes, man, like our values do not align. So I started looking like, okay, where, where can I find lower taxes? Where can I find uh, gun frame? I'm into guns. So like, where can I find gun friendly shit that doesn't suck? Like, I don't want to fucking move to Missouri, you know? Yeah. New Hampshire was one of them. I looked at uh, freedomindex.org. New Hampshire is the third freest state in the union no shit. by way of, by way of laws and taxes and all that shit. Yeah. It's, what? and it was interesting because, um, what it's surrounded by is like pretty liberal, uh, like Massachusetts and New York and all of that, uh, Vermont. But then like New Hampshire just sits there as this very kind of oddball. And that was really appealing to me. Yeah. Well, it's like New York kind of is like Oregon in that sense. And Pennsylvania is kind of like that where like Philadelphia carries it. Delaware is like that fucking Wilmington has one city in Delaware has the entire population of the county I live in, which is the surf County. And right. like you, you do get these pockets of like, this isn't, this doesn't represent me where your values, where my tax dollars go, don't represent me. So I could see like New Hampshire kind of getting tucked away from all those cities, like those epicenters of idealism yeah. and just people yeah. who got to fucking make it work. And they're like, you know what makes it work? Just leaving me the fuck alone. <laughs> Do, you know what you know what new hampshire's motto is right no i feel like it's something like that like leave me the fuck alone it's live free or die yes, that's right that's fucking badass dude badass. we're the fucking beaver state like i'd much rather live and live free or die you know dude, I, I got this is the total random ass side note and um uh, so i'm working with this new teacher and um he comes out to me and he's gay and he was like, oh my God, and whatever, like I'm helping him unpack his room. And he's like, 
I've never like professionally outed myself so quickly to somebody. He's like, you just make me feel really comfortable. And I'm like, oh, dude, you know, I fucking whatever grew up in Rehoboth. It's the gay summer capital of the East Coast, you know, <laughs> like there's a gay avenue. I've been working there since, for like 30 years. I was like, I lived with a biracial gay couple when I like went to college. I rent a room from them, you know, like I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Like it's not a thing. I don't, I don't care. So anyway, by the end, he was like, so has anyone ever called you an otter? And I'm like, what? He was like, well, I mean, and I want to say it was a bear. He was like, so have you heard of a bear? But like in the gay sense, it's like, is that like a masculine gay guy? My understanding is a bear is a masculine gay dude. Yeah. Yeah. So he said, I'm an otter because I'm a masculine gay dude that's thinner and fitter. And I was like... (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not gay, but I was like, I took it as one hell of a compliment. It's like, cool. I dress well, make sure I'm groomed up. And like, you see me as fit, man. I'm like, dude, fucking down. So now I'm like, it's, all those, it's those jogs in 50 degree weather. No, I do. I'm like, and great for the skin. I'm like, oh, Grady, the otter. I, I think I kind of want to make that my thing. So when you say beaver dope. state, I want to get adored by like the otter's den or something. So all yeah. the ladies know when they come over, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So an otter is just a thinner bear, essentially. Yeah, according to my source. And it's okay. one of those weird things where it's like, yeah, I'm now speaking for all gay people. Cause I had a conversation with one guy in one town in one state. <laughs> right. But like, he was pretty worldly. I think he taught in Vegas and he was like in Chicago. Like he's been around the country. Um, But yeah, it was just, anyway, when you said Beaver State, I was like, fucking otter. And I wonder like the motto, does that influence, how does that influence people's perception in that town? Like, does it make them feel a certain way when the town says live free or die versus Beaver State? So I've, uh, from stuff I've read in forums and whatnot, it seems like New Hampshireites take the live free or die thing pretty seriously. No one up here talks about Beaver State, but we, <laughs> like, what do you connect but, with, right? Yeah, you know, we have a thing though. There's a vibe here in Oregon, and this is what makes Oregon love, like, fucking lovely to live in, and difficult to move away from. So the type of forest we have, there's only like seven on the planet and they're all different. So it's a very, very, very unique ecosystem up here. And it's like a fairy tale. Like you go out to the forest and you feel like you're in some Hansel and Gretel shit, Hmm. but not about to be eaten by a witch. And it's unbelievable, man. Like camping out here is, is unbelievable. And so that is the vibe here. It's not live free or die, but it is like, go get lost in the forest. I think mm-hmm. fucking get lost might be like a thing up here, right? They call it the Pacific uh, Pacific Wonderland okay. because it is just this unbelievably beautiful uh, forest and people love the outdoors out here. They love doing all of that shit. There's just wild politics, man. It, it gets like, it gets pretty crazy out here. Like apparently, apparently, uh, national parks are racist like that's a real legitimate conversation that happens out here and our park services all talk about how like what they're doing to lower racism in the parks and i'm like it's a fucking park bro like like they go have fun in the forest is yeah so like are they like denying permits or like 
like no. like checking people's park the, passes, writing yeah. tickets, like litter. So the my understanding of the conversation is that because less black people attend the parks than white people, it's because of racism and it's because of racism on the parks place. Yeah. So it's one it's so that's like weird shit that I just like can't really get behind. I'm like, uh, okay. So I have another friend and he's black. So I have one gay friend and one black friend, right? No, I'm just kidding. You're, but like dude, you're you're checking the boxes. I'm just I just gotta make sure, right? So anyway, dude. Um, we're up in, um, fuck, it might've been Maine or Pennsylvania, but we're on this hiking trail and I was talking to one of the guys I coach basketball with and whatever, he like texts me. No, it was West Virginia. So right away he was like, fuck that place. But I'm like, yo, Harper's Ferry was actually a really cool thing that I went really down. I really want to go to West Virginia. But I think Harper's Ferry is in Virginia or maybe where they meet. Um, but anyway, so no, yeah, great place, super rocky. I don't know what it relates to the woods. But anyway, he's like, what's up, man? I'm like, hiking. And he goes, fucking white people. I'm like, like, what do you mean? He was like, dude, I ain't going out there into the wood. Like, I don't fuck with bears and animals like that. Like, I'm not trying to get jumped. So anyway, when you say the state park thing, like, when you think of hacky sacks, do you think of African-American or black people? Hacky sacks are racist. Yeah, but it's like, or (laughs) it's just a cultural pothead thing or a wannabe hippie thing. And it's like. What if state parks just culturally for white people have more of a priority and like yeah. family history than like it does for black people? What if it's so just that, what they want to do? That's where the conversations get really like they get weird, man, because they get deep into it. And people it's so heated by emotions like people yeah. are serious. And it's funny because in in Portland, like we're like 98 percent white up here. <laughs> And I don't think I ever met someone who cares more about black rights than like white people in Portland. Yeah. And they get real heated about it. So, you know, they would argue like black, like, <laughs> I don't even know if I want to talk about this. <laughs> I, They'll be like, so, yeah, it is a weird spot. It's I, I've heard, I've heard this argument in real life in person. Okay. From white people. Well, black people are always in survival mode. And so they don't have the privilege to just go on a hike. They don't even have the privilege to think about going on a hike. And I'm like, all black people are in survival mode. Like, it's it's like, it baffles me, man. It, it baffles me. I'm I'm half Mexican, half white. My wife is half black, half Japanese. And we're just surrounded by all these white people that think they know what is best for like black people and brown people. It's... It's so wild. Yeah. And that's that's one of the reasons why I'm like, yeah, hey, New Hampshire sounds fine. I know it's a lot of white people up there, but uh I don't know. Like it doesn't it doesn't like that doesn't bother me, you know? Yeah, well, cause I think if if you can get to a place and it's part of what I think most people like about sports, is like it's in its purest form and for the most part, it's a meritocracy. Where yeah. like it, you're a good neighbor if my electricity goes out and you have a fireplace and you let me come over or yeah. fuck man, I got a flat tire and you stop and help me. And like, but you need neighbors like that when you have freedom and you don't have a ton of support, right? I can't be an yeah, asshole yeah, yeah. to you and then call the cops because you whatever fucking egg my house or spray paint something because I want right. to be nice to you because you could kill me. There's nobody around type stuff. <laughs> so and like, uh, in New Hampshire, there's a lot of guns and apparently like everyone is packing there. 
So yeah. that is very true. That yeah. could be the case. Tread lightly. That's that's another. I know that's definitely a saying. I don't that's know if it's New Hampshire. Yeah. Don't I think don't tread on me? Is the... <laughs> no, that was the Walter White. <laughs> tread lightly. <laughs> but like, I feel that I, that's what most people seek. I feel like the yeah. the uh, the ends just scream so fucking loud. Where like, if you just asked regular people, you're like, yeah, so yeah, yeah. like, wh what do you look for in a friend? Like, how many fucking things would you say before you got to race? Yeah, one hundred. I'm like, dude, if I started fucking checking down, like, I would pick like a dude that would pick me up from the airport. Is probably like fifty yeah. fifth. Help me move is like tenth. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think like. Like what, what would I have to say after, oh, he must be Caucasian. Yeah. You know, like, and then, and yeah. has great cookouts, you know, like, that's been, you know, that's been, <laughs> that has been my argument this whole time that like, no one, no one would consciously be like race's top priority when it comes to who I want to be around, who I want to hang out with. Yeah. It's going to be character traits. 100%. And the country's so fucking, like, my daughter's half Mexican. Her mom's Mexican, like, literally from Mexico, Mexican. Mm -hmm. And, like, her last name's O'Grady. Yeah. And, you know, I'm white. And it's like, That's well. so American. Yeah, but, like, yeah, no, seriously, right? And it's like, well, what the fuck is she? What's her identity? I, I don't know. Yeah. She was raised by her Spanish-speaking grandparents, you know? Like, that's who watched her when she went to work. And she's fucking making tortillas and they're like yelling and they have all this like energy and passion. And you're like, that's calm more chill. I'm into burgers. So like, what, what, <laughs> like, like, what does she do? What, what's her go-to food? What does she identify with culturally? And you're like, yeah. I don't fucking know, man. She's a nice person. She has a lot of friends. She smiles that's easy. And it's like, isn't, isn't that what yeah. matter? But then you that's make That's literally the thing I love about America. Yeah. I feel like, like you, you just, the story you just told is literally what makes America such a unique and amazing place. There's very, 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 I, I don't think there is any other place quite like America. I think there's places that get kind of close to it, like England or the UK, you know, they have a lot of, they had a lot of immigration throughout the years. A lot of culture has come, different cultures have come in and out of there. Um, and so you get it, but it's not quite the same thing. Like, maybe it's maybe it's the live free or die mentality that was part of America for so long um and kind of like like you had noted the meritocracy there I was uh <laughs> I don't I don't know how I'm, I'm about to like support my argument with video game dialogue but <laughs> I'm gonna do that anyway there I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2 which is a great game and something that they said so some piece of dialogue in it really stuck out to me where someone was complaining about something about he was complaining about another character because of the character's ethnicity like they're complaining about an irish guy or they're complaining about an italian guy or something and the guy responds to him like you're like we're in the new world you're talking about an old world problem yeah like keep that shit in the old world because it's it, you go to fucking europe and like the fucking French hate the English because of some shit that happened like 400 years ago, you know, and the fucking French hate or the English hate the Argentinians. I know that's not in, uh, in Europe, but like the English hate the Argentinians because of some war. It's like Americans, like people came here, made their way. And if you could prove your value as an individual, you could be accepted. 
Like that's the ideal, right? Like that's, that's the, the mantra. Yeah. Like we're as close to that as anywhere else is in the world. So I didn't, I used to be super like quote unquote woke, right? I used to be super into this shit. I used to be pretty left leaning and all of this, all this stuff. And um, then I traveled to Japan, which is like a very developed nation. It's like very rich nation and they have great stuff over there. And I was like, I was there for almost a month and I was like, I'm so fucking glad I was born American. Like, uh, I'll tell you a story. So in Japan, uh, I had a lot of fun in the subways. Like this was, it was such a cool thing to me because I had never fucked with subways on the West Coast. Like, that's not really a thing that we have here. <laughs> and I was like, dude, these subways are insanely efficient. They get you all over the city. And the city is massive. It's the biggest city I've ever seen in my life. In Tokyo. I was in Tokyo. And uh, I get on the subway and I got separated from my, my uh, wife and her mom. And I'm separated by like 15 businessmen and they're all wearing the same suit or like it looks to be exactly the same suit. They all have the same haircut and they're like completely separating me and it's fucking squashed. Like I'm up against the doors and these guys are like up in my shit. And, uh, and I'm just like thinking like, holy shit, dude, I stand out like fucking crazy. Like everyone here is dressed the same. They all have the same fucking briefcase. Like everyone's just like, you don't stick out here. And my wife used to, my wife grew up in Japan. She would correct me all the time. Like, my love, you're talking too loud. You need to lower your voice. I'm like, I'm talking normal. She's like, you're talking too loud. People are going to start looking and saying stuff and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so I'm on the subway and the doors open and they just legit fucking push me out of the way. No eye contact no like acknowledgement of me as a human standing there just like a mass of people just pushed me and i had to like scramble on the ground out of the way and then had to scramble back into the subway train to meet up with my wife and i was like that was that stuck with me because i'm like that's such a fucking weird thing man americans are so like hyper conscious about being polite to people and that's a that's a stereo. I like learned that that's a stereotype of Americans really? worldwide. Yeah, that Americans are really nice. Like we're loud, we're kind of obnoxious, but we're all, hey, how's it going? Like you, I seen these videos on YouTube of people going like, uh, like imitate an American, and it's always like, hey, everybody, how are you? <laughs> are you doing good? You know, and like, oh, dude, over in Japan, it's not like that, and. While I'm there, I'm learning about like how much suicide there is and how much these people work and how like, dude, just like the, the, the honor-based culture is insane. Like, like if you fucking make one little mistake, like fuck you and your entire family, you know? And you better fucking grovel and make that shit up, you know? And I'm like, this... Japan's beautiful. I want to actually, I, my wife and I talk about going back and spending more and more time there so we could be near her parents and stuff with the baby. Um, but I'm like, I, after that trip, I was like, I'm really fucking like glad that I was born in America. Like a place where you can be yourself. You can be an individual. You're not, you're not exiled or chastised or looked at different for being different. Isn't that so fucking cool? You're almost you know? celebrated. 
Like we, yeah. we embrace outliers. We do. And like, we, I, yeah, like outliers, celebrate. excellence. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I think we that's look for. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Um, I forget, forget who was breaking this shit down. Um, but it was uh, some fucking economist about communism and like how communism is awesome at first because the key is efficiency, but mm. it stifles innovation because anytime you innovate, you waste till you figure yeah. out what's cool. So that's why whatever they figure out how to make one stove and that's the fucking stove. And you might that's have four electric coils and that's it. And you're like, wait, there's a convention of them. You could put, you could put a fan in the back. You can have three levels of heat. They're like, how'd you figure that out? Oh, we wasted whatever, $5 million on steel. Yeah. Nope. We're just going to keep knocking out our $200 stoves. And it's yeah. like, it seems like a lot of cultures value that conformity where it's yeah. something about America. I don't know if it was the wild west or just fucking us wanting to take shit, but it was like, who can figure out how to do this? Who's going to like have the balls to do this? Mm -hmm. You're that fucking guy or person. Let's go with you. You're awesome. Yeah. Well, it's like America was built by the rejects of Europe. The people that didn't want to conform, right? Like the people that are like, I want to fucking go do my own thing. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to, pay taxes to the king you know i don't want to subscribe to the catholic church i want my own church you know and so they're the ones who came out here and prom and the promise the promise kind of spread from there of like you could build your own life you can do go your own way right so i think that whether like there's a lot of talk today about people like americans that hate america on the like the right right-leaning media tends to talk about like these people hate America and blah, blah, blah. And I, I can kind of get it to an extent, especially talking with a lot of people. There's an interesting phenomenon here in Portland. Like I, I have this, I know this person who recently became an American citizen, but they have, they're no short of complaints about how terrible America is, but they also celebrated their American citizenship. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Makes sense. Why is that? You know? Yeah. When you say that out loud, makes sense. No. Yeah. That, like that, that's always the weirdest. I, I think it was Colin Cowherd that first put me onto that. He was like, does it pass the say out loud test? Like you <laughs> rationalize all this shit in your head and it all makes sense. I'm sure that person feels justified about all the injustices 100%. and it's so wrong. And then all of a sudden you're like, this place is shit. By the way, please RSVP to my I'm finally an American legally allowed to stay here party. <laughs> I'm so come yes. celebrate the fact that I'm in the worst fucking place I possibly could be. It's like, does anybody have a come celebrate my cancer? No, it's like come celebrate yeah. my cancer free diagnosis. Yeah. And, and it like it doesn't make sense when you say it out loud and you're like, yeah. there's something it feels fundamentally flawed with those two dynamics. That speaks to, it speaks to a truth of human nature, man. We lie to ourselves constantly. Yeah. Whether that, it's, it's a feature, man. It, it's not a bug of the human mind. It's a feature of the human mind. I was just reading Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, I think his name. Almost bought that. Instead, it was like the, I went with the subtle art of how to not, not give giving a, a fuck. fuck. Yeah. Yes. I went with okay. That book so it's, that's so funny because when I was looking for a book, <laughs> like, and I found this book, that book was right under it. it in, dude, in Amazon. 
So like, I mean, books, bookshops just go to Pinterest and they're like, best way to go, <laughs> best way to stage philosophy section. Right. And they're like, oh, that's how fucking Barnes and No, that's how successful people do it. Right. Like nobody's creative. Yeah. They just Google it. First image that comes up. That's the order. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. So, so I'm reading this book though. This guy was an economist and he ended up with a, a partner of his, they ended up doing this, um, pretty much like a psychology study about bias and publishing it. And it like blew up, like in the social psychology world, in the, so just the social science world in general, just like his study, like blew up and became super popular. It's one of the most cited studies in psychology, I believe. And, uh, it was basically, it basically refuted up to that point, all up to that point, I think they did this in like the seventies. And so up to that point, social scientists had this unspoken understanding that humans in general were rational creatures and emotions did influence, like they, they could become irrational through, through emotions, but in the end, rationality kind of won out. Mm. And what this study proved was it wasn't really about rationality or emotions. It was more about how our brains take these shortcuts because there's so much information to process. Our brains take these shortcuts, shortcuts that are irrational. And that's what a bias is, right? And so one of the examples was uh, availability bias, which was if it's easier to remember, you're going to put more weight in it. And so the way that they tested that was, uh, are there more words in the English language that start with the letter K or uh, words that the letter K is the third letter in the word? And almost everybody said starts with the letter K. There's more words that start with the letter K when in track, in fact, the opposite is true. And it's because it's easier to think of words that start with K than it is to think of words where K is the third letter. Yeah. I got arc. I was trying to arc. like, in my head, I'm like, how <laughs> there you go. I would have gone with the first, but I mean, yeah. Cause it's how often do you pay attention to the middle of anything? Right. Yeah. And so there's just, there's, you know, we know we hear confirmation bias quite a bit, yeah. right? There's also halo effect. And there's all these like things where our brains just take these shortcuts because if we didn't take the shortcut, if we used our slow thinking brain for everything, like we'd be, we wouldn't do anything. We'd be so overwhelmed with information and we'd never be able to make a decision. Yeah. So dude, how did you, <laughs> this is like a very weird backtrack, but like that, is that a woke book? I guess I want to get to like the, how did you, not. how did you feel you were, became unwoke? Was that like the inspiration uh, to unwoke or like, are you still finding no. yourself philosophically? So I've always Cause been... that was a great break. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but like a lot of people will mention a book and then it's like, yeah, there was this study. It was kind of controversial. And basically we can talk about controversial studies. We, <laughs> we have a hard time thinking, no, but like, dude, you were fucking like, like, it seems like you've spent time, either you have a great memory where you're just able to recall that shit or you actually processed it to kind of own it. You know what I'm saying? Which I, I yeah. feel is pretty rare when people read books. I think they get the one thing and then they're like out, they get the one talking point, but you fucking like, yeah. like, well, I, I appreciate well it, that. man. I think, I think what you're picking up on is I was reading that book yesterday. Right. So, <laughs> 
my availability bias. It's like right there. <laughs> Just finished was, chapter three. <laughs> I was also reading uh, The Witching Hour by Anne Rice, which is basically gossipy smut. So <laughs> yeah, that's a good book though. But anyway, um, to answer your question, you you asked like, well, one you asked, is that a woke book? No, I don't I don't think it could be classified as woke or unwoke. It's more just um it's a pretty straightforward, like popular science book. Um your other question was about like that transition. Uh I have to credit my wife. So when I say that I was quote unquote woke, basically I watched a lot of John Oliver. That was like my only news source was like John Oliver and Reddit. And I was just, (laughs) I was just in this total echo chamber. Right. And, um, had a lot of really arrogant beliefs about the world. Like, you know, I'm right about this. I'm right about that. Like everything that I said was like, this is the truth. This is the truth or everything that I thought was like, this is the truth. Like, why can't people see it that it's just like this? It's just like this. Um, and then the whole 2020 shit popped off. COVID popped off. George Floyd got killed. And it, the, the, so the, where it all kind of switched, George Floyd got killed. And I noticed every single Instagram post was exactly the same. And it reminded me, it, not consciously at the time, but now that I think about it, it reminded me of like, those Japanese businessmen. Hmm. And it kind of freaked me out because what freaked me out the most is I made the same Instagram post. I put the fucking black square. I fucking said some shit about some shit about, you know, human rights and black rights and blah, blah, blah. And I was like scrolling through Instagram and I'm like, dude, everyone said the same fucking thing. Everyone posted the same fucking thing. What the fuck? That's so, like, that fascinated me. It scared me, but it also fascinated me. I've I've always been a very introspective person. And I also studied psychology. And I worked in the psychology field. So this kind of shit really interests me. And so when I saw that start happening, I was, like, weirded out by it. And then I went on furlough from my company. So I didn't have a job. And so I had nothing to do. And my wife she was equally wor- uh, like weirded out by it. And she was like questioning things out loud. She would question them out loud and it would make me really defensive. And then I started noticing that I was really defensive to her questioning things. And that interested me. Can and then I just stay before you get to the, then can you stay there? Cause I'm, I'm reflecting right now. And I'm like, why would that make you feel uncomfortable like the force to conform or like a surface level of conformity or it's, hypocritical conformity, like you're doing this in the moment, but if you really gave a fuck, you would have ran for office yourself or voted or like, have you fucking called anybody? Have you emailed yeah. someone or are you just posting shit? Cause it's quick. Like you're hitting on all of it, man. It's yeah. all of those things. Um, let me, let me try to transport my mind back. There was like, it was an, it was an intuition. Like it wasn't really a conscious thought. It wasn't logical. I'm, I'm, I am a, I'm an emotional person. I personally am very emotional and I lean a lot on gut feelings. Okay. I try my absolute best to rationalize things, to understand things rationally. 
but uh, I'm very emotional and I rely a lot on intuition. And so at that time, it was an intuitive gut feeling like this is weird. Hmm. And so when I started researching shit around everything that was going on, it started confirming that me feeling like this was weird was the right direction. Um, and we could, we could get into some of that research, but, um, yeah, it's just curious. And maybe I'm like, am I, I I felt like not that I was indifferent to what happened. I was kind of indifferent. I guess if I picked how I felt, I might be like virtue signaler. Yeah. Almost like what I was saying to you about when you were explaining that book, it'd be like, Oh cool, man. Then what needs to change? Well, black people should stop dying. And you're like, okay, well that like can't be a law. So like, what would you actually change? Well, there needs to be more cops. Okay, well, what would more cops do? Well, there need to be less cops. Well, then right. what would less cops do? And you're like, well, there needs to be body cameras. And you're like, okay, what, what, how, like, what's the process? And it yeah. was just, that was to me the weirdest thing. And I always took that as like, I'm solution-based, where it almost makes me seem like autistic or un- like dis- disengaged emotionally. I'm like fucking pragmatic. Yeah. I'm like, cool, you're bothered by so- it? Let's solve it. Yeah, I'm I'm very similar to that as well. And for me, the conclusion that I could come to, because you're right, man, you're like, what do you change a law? What do you less cops, more cops, more cops is racist, less cops. When they defunded places, the place, uh, defunded cities, <laughs> like black neighborhoods suffered the most. Yeah, well, th- when th- they defunded cops, right? That, like, that's the thing. The upper class coughs and the lower class catches a cold kind of a thing. Like those yeah. with the least amount of resources immediately are affected disproportionately from decisions. Right. And so when it comes down to it, you can't change one thing. You can't even change five things and expect some fantasy you cooked up in your mind to happen. Uh, And so the only conclusion I could ever come to, and I think about it, I still think about it a lot, and I still come to the same conclusion, which is you just need to take care of yourself. Hmm. The more you can take care of yourself, the more you can take care of people that need help, the more you take care of yourself, the more like if, so Carl Jung had said something like, um, it was one of my favorite quotes, man. I wish I, I wish I wouldn't butcher it, but I'm about to, but Carl Jung said, uh, if there is a problem with society, it's a problem with me. Therefore, if I'm wise, I will change myself instead of try to change society. And I thought that was like one of the most profound things that I've ever heard. And, uh, and that's essentially the conclusion that I come to on it. Like, imagine if everyone gave a shit about taking care of themselves, eating healthy. You can't make a law to force people to eat healthy. People have to choose to eat healthy. But guess what happens when you eat healthy? You feel better. Physically, you feel better. And guess what happens when you physically feel better? You emotionally feel better. Guess what happens when you emotionally feel better? You're nicer to people that you come across on the street. You have more patience. You are sharper to make better decisions. You're more creative, you know? But in, And what I started noticing is all the people that I knew that complained about the state of America, that, compla- that just complained, didn't take good care of themselves. They ate like shit. They drank a lot. They smoked a lot of weed. I used to smoke a lot of weed, man. I fucking, I quit smoking 
And like, there's very rare moments where I'm like listening to Wu Tang and I want to smoke a blunt or something. But like, outside of that, I'm like, weather's this right, is the bass is up. Greatest. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But outside of those moments, I'm like, this is like the best I've ever felt, dude. And then when I look back, I'm like, when I was smoking weed, I did nothing for like seven years straight. Now that I'm not smoking weed, I built a business that that is on track to make me more money in one year than I ever made working at a corporate job where everything was handed to me, where all I had to do was push a couple buttons and collect a paycheck, right? I work less now, make more money, am more fulfilled, am happier, can take care of my wife, can take care of my daughter, can wave and smile and have a good time with people on the street. I'm not like being an asshole, you know? So the more you take care, that's kind of my philosophy. Like the more you take care of yourself, the more you are the master of your own universe, the happier you are, the better you make society. I can't go change people. I can change myself and I can teach people how they can change themselves. You know? I had this dude on, um, fuck, I can't remember his name, man. Um, I called him the dad bod God. He was in men's health magazine. I just saw that. Yeah. Um, dude, that guy's body is fucking dude, insane. Like he got down to 4% body fat. I'm like, I, I just, I, I, I don't know if I don't have your discipline. I definitely don't have your desire. I was like, fuck that. Man. Like you're not, <laughs> but super cool guy. And part of the conversation was like when he gave up alcohol and, but he still wanted yeah. to go out and he realized like, you know, I was drinking because I needed to network in my business. Like it was a legit thing that happened, mm -hmm. like that, that you need to do. And I'm like, yeah, how do you get around those awkward conversations? I'm just not like, maybe I just don't have the self-confidence to be the guy that does it and then deal with everybody fucking looking at me, cracking jokes. Like I, I can get ragged on, but I feel like whatever the vibe is, I just fucking killed it. And then like, I feel the responsibility that I got to somehow bring it back to something, right? And mm -hmm. he was like, nah, man, you're misthinking it. He was like, you become the guy that gets all the attention and that other people want to be because you're different and you mm. inspire. And I was like, that goes to kind of to your point, that bravery of not only will you be better off to help others in need, but maybe you'll just be the fucking example to be like, oh shit, he did it. Like... Yeah. I can do it then too, you know? And yeah. I think people miss, like, I don't think they give enough power to just random influence that they cause around them without even knowing it. Yeah. Like just fucking waving to people. All of a sudden now people notice you wave and they're like, am I weird that I don't wave? Maybe I should wave. Maybe I should smile at people. Dude, take it back to the Instagram post the day that George Floyd was killed, right? Everyone's posting the black square, like, who wants to be the guy that posts a picture of their happy family? Yeah. Like that day, like you're scrolling through Instagram. It's all black, black screens. And then there's like a, a happy smiling family. Holy like shit. Spirit you're going to get, yeah, you're going <laughs> to yeah. get like a bunch. So you'll get a bunch of hate from the people that are just dissatisfied with living. Right. But dad bod God isn't wrong. That is going to make, someone who's ready for that change to stop and be like, look at that. You know, you can, yeah. you could stand out, you could stand out. And if it's not even necessarily just about standing out, it's like, you can be happy. Yeah. You know, you can be, I don't know if we look at in, in that scenario, 
it's like this is a person who's not like tapped in necessarily to the mainstream. This is someone going their own way. Yeah. And just like you so aptly noted before, that is something that we revere in our culture. It's why we have a celebrity culture. Yeah. Because we love the people that go their own way. We love those stories. What made you give up weed? Is there anything to that? I, um, cause I thought it was free out there. I thought they just delivered it to your door. A... <laughs> DoorDash, dude. <laughs> like you get eight, you get eight free COVID tests, 10 free masks and fucking <laughs> half an ounce. <laughs> and it just comes. It's like the yeah, Alaska people get oil too. money and yeah. it's like the Oregon people just get fucking free bud. <laughs> that's so funny there's a place right up the street like it's a seven minute walk from my house and they sell 50 dollars ounces yeah. stop dude when i was in vegas when i lived in vegas that's when i started smoking i was like 22 when i started smoking weed i like i was a weirdo i didn't smoke weed in high school or even college like i tried it and i never liked it i became a pothead at like 22 and uh Dude, a half ounce of like okay, decent stuff was like 320 bucks. Stop. How long yeah. ago was that? That was back in like 2012. Jesus so Christ. that's, yeah, before the weed revolution and, and shit becoming legal. So up here, it's like $50 for an ounce right down the street. And it's, you're not going to get stellar stuff for that, but it's like, that's a lot of weed for a little bit of money. What made me stop smoking? We went to Vegas to visit my parents one October and we went for the whole month. It was the October of 2020. We went for the whole month. I was already ripe with all these changes going on, all these yeah, personal changes. I was changes. literally about to say, dude, like you've had an insane metamorphosis the past couple of years. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I feel like I'm definitely the same person that I've always been, but I feel very different. Um, so I, we were there for a month and it wasn't as easy to get. And so it just didn't smoke. And when we came back in November of 2020, we we're just like, I don't really care to go buy weed. Like it's been nice to detox from. It's been nice to be clear headed because dude, I, I Saturdays and Sundays, it was wake up, hit the bong and I'd be hitting the bong all day. And then I, if I went out, I'd have a vape. I used to like, uh, I like going to the ballet. <laughs> And speaking of otters, right? <laughs> I like going to the ballet and I'd fucking be token up at the ballet, which was like cool to say in at that time, at that age. And like, yeah. but when I think about it, I'm like, I would much rather enjoy a live orchestra and the ballet totally clear headed and just like be part of it, not be lost in thought, not anything else, man. I didn't. Weed just makes me hazy, kind of dumb. Huh. And that was the thing. It was uh, someone said to me, they thought the legalization of weed was a bad thing. I was a pothead when they said this to me. I was like, no way, bro. Like, weed's sick, right? And I was like, well, okay, why do you think it's a bad thing to legalize weed? And he said, um, I think it's a bad idea to give the most apathetic generation something that will make them more apathetic <laughs> and i was like holy shit <laughs> that's an insight man <laughs> yeah 
a lot of fucking judgment too. Although old, <laughs> all old people, I'm going through this with my kid right now. I'm like, you need to work harder. And then I like have to stop myself. I'm like, you're fucking 12, man. <laughs> like, yeah, you're good at some shit. And now you're in your lazy stage life. Like, what yeah. the fuck am I? But I, I almost feel like that's just, I don't know. You forget what it's like to be lazy. I, well, the... No, I, I just, I, no, I get like, I don't know how I feel about weed because Delaware had the, the, um, like they tried to pass it, that state in the house passed it, then the governor vetoed it. And then they had enough votes of people who passed it to override the veto and they punked out and then they didn't override his veto. So it's not legalized. And I'm just like, I can't get past that booze is okay. Weed is not. Yeah. I, so I agree with that, right? Drugs are a weird, drugs are a weird fucking topic to even try to tackle. Just like our first conversation, we were talking about homelessness yeah, and like how to solve these homeless problems, right? Drugs in a sense are the same kind of thing. It's like, how do you fucking solve that? Like, do you just decriminalize it? The thing is, is like people are going to do whatever they want to do, right? You don't have to necessarily let it affect you. And that was, that was another thing that was pointed out to me where I would care a lot about things that didn't personally affect me. With the weed? Not just weed, just, just in general. In uh, general, like... okay. Think of like activists, like fucking joining causes that don't really affect them. Like, why do you care? What are you distracting yourself from? Hmm. You know, uh, I might just be projecting there because I feel like I've distracted myself a lot with weed and drinking and partying. Yeah, no, but that's uh, something to it. Like for the most part, um, I think like you, ideally you rationalize it because you say it's an enhancer. Mm, but yeah, maybe you can. Yeah. Right. And like, and I guess that's what it's supposed to be in like moderation, right? It can make yeah. things feel better. It could, when you said like smoking at the ballet, I was like, actually do no words, just music interpreting like dance. I'm like, that actually sounds like great. Like you could go see the same show <laughs> 20 times and never see the same show. Right. You would just yeah. keep like in my head, I'm like, I would just keep making up all this shit or I'm like, would I even notice it? Or would I like drift off and start staring at like one of the lights that's blinking in a weird way? That happens too. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's both. Yeah. It's and. Yeah, that so, happens too. Yeah, it made it. So it's like, are you doing it because you want to distract from, could I see the ballet without being the weed guy? Like, am I confident enough to just be like, yeah, I'm in a ballet? Not like, yo, it's a trippy ass experience to go see the ballet stoned yeah. kind of a thing yeah i don't know man we just decriminalized all drugs here in oregon because that's supposed to be better for people that do drugs i guess and that was one that was one of those ones where i'm like okay it doesn't affect me i probably shouldn't care too much about it but there's also like there's also that aspect of like do you want to live like Portland, no shit. Like you, you step over needles, like gross, yeah. dirty used needles and like human feces. So then it does kind of affect you. And then, so I don't know. Did it get more intense kid? having a kid? 
I feel like yeah. that that was where my first mind went. I'm like, great. So now my kid can just know one college dude that is like into her. She made friends with some senior and two years later, that's the dude buying her heroin. Great. Yeah. Yeah. It did get way more intense with my daughter where I'm like, <laughs> I want to, that, I think that's another thing that really pushes me with the business. Like, I don't want to work. I was working like 10 hours a day, right? Before, when I was at the corporate place, like on average, at least like eight and a half to nine hours a day without really any real breaks. Um, you, I just was like giving myself to this corporation. And we were trying to get pregnant. We went through all kinds of hell to do it. My wife almost died the first time that she was pregnant, needed like emergency surgery and all this stuff. And we ended up having to do IVF. And it was like fucking nuts. So like that was another big wake up call, right? Because the, I, the my wife collapsed at work from internal bleeding while she was pregnant the first time at the end of 2019. So heading into COVID, that was like November, end of November that happened. And then, so we're dealing with losing all she's ever wanted in her life is to be a mother. And so we're dealing with losing that violently at that because of internal bleeding, she had to be rushed to the hospital, all this crazy shit. COVID. So uh, yes, this metamorphosis starts, right? This metamorphosis starts. And now we've been blessed with this beautiful, beautiful baby girl. And I'm like, do we really want to be tied to a physical location, eight to nine hours a day, working to make someone else rich, and like more power to the to the guy that owns the company that we worked for. So we both worked for the same company more power to him for building like a, a big badass tech company. But it's like, do I want to serve you or do I want to serve my family? And uh, luckily I had a close friend of mine that built his own business and he was like, let me show you how, let me show you how to do it. You have a skill. I could use your skill, which was writing. He's like, let me show you how to build a business. And then I've been doing that. And now it's like, I have the capacity to work more than I already do, right? I've, I was working like, I got allured by the fact that I had this business that was making good money. And I was like working le like half of what I was working at the corporation, hmm. making on track now to make 10,000 more than, uh, than I ever made at my height of my corporate career. And I get to spend all this time with my daughter. <laughs> like I don't have to go <laughs> to an office. I can rock my daughter to sleep for a nap. I can jump on a podcast with you after this. I'm going to read books to my daughter, yeah. you know, and like all throughout the day. And so now my wife, like she's still working at the company and we're like, we need to get you out of it. And then, then the three of us and God willing, a fourth one will join and we're going to fucking like the goal is to be able to just go wherever we want, whenever we want, and still be able to make money. Not just make money, but to build wealth. Hmm. And like, because that is the freedom that we're after. Here's the thing, when I quit my, I quit my job in January. And it was a risk at the time because I had not replaced my full-time income. But I was like, 
this will light a fire, right? I quit my job. That's what they, they say me, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's what they say, right? They offered me $30,000 a year extra to stay. Wow. And I was like, no. Should have done that <laughs> shit from the jump, man. Now I wouldn't even thought about quitting. Yeah, that, right. That was, I was like, where were you like two months ago? Um, but I, I'm very grateful that that's how it happened because he dropped this on me and I hadn't even planned for that. And I was just like, uh, no, I really have to do this. <laughs> I have to try to do this. But I have thanks. a quest. <laughs> yes, I, I was called to action. I have a quest. That's right. Um, and I quit my job in January and like, fucking forgot where I was going. Too many jokes. Yeah, I know. That, <laughs> dude, I do suck at that, just making dumbass <laughs> comments. Like, so I co-teach, and I'm just rambling, give you a second, but you were talking about quitting your job, building your business. Goal is to have wealth, move anywhere that you want to. You were about to Oh, be... it was the freedom. It was the yeah. freedom. So, yeah, so thank you for reminding me. So when I quit, I had this crazy realize, like the week that I didn't have that responsibility of like, having to be near my phone in case someone pings me, having to be on my laptop in case someone pings me, like having to make sure I was a recruiter, having to make sure, and I was, I was a recruiter and I was leading a brand new recruitment project for one of like the top three tech companies in the world. And I was leading the recruitment project for this, this new, pro new business for our company that if we fucked it up, we were fucked, right? So it was a lot of pressure. I'm meeting with, with um, the head of the, the client side and I'm like having to meet with all these C-suite executives on our side. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm just busy and totally trapped and I want a vacation. And like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it, well, I kind of don't because I have zero responsibility in my job I just teach. <laughs> Like, no, court, like, dude, it, it's a weird, again, sympathy, like empathy, the, yeah. the stress, like I can understand it, but I don't, I was a waiter. And if I didn't like you, I just fucking ignored you and accepted that you weren't going to tip me. And then I'm a teacher life, and, and it's like, <laughs> you know, like, like it, you, you get stress, but it's yeah. not like a production based. It feels for everyone that I talk, it like feels do or die. And yes, just, it there's does. just a constant anxiety of fucking producing. Yes. And it's like, can I just have a bad day? Like, yeah. is it cool if so, I have a bad couple weeks? Yeah. So it, it, you hit it head on with the anxiety where you're like, even if you're not an anxious person, everyone else is. And they are coming to you. Like, if you don't work on this thing that I'm bringing to your attention right now, like everyone's dead. Yeah. Right? Dude, it's always They're the like, biggest fucking problem in the world. Yeah, and you're like, um, we we improve AI programs. I don't think everyone's gonna die if the AI program gets improved a little late, you know. But so no matter how how hard you try to stay like calm and level headed, like everyone's pushing that shit on you, and we're social creatures. We're gonna adopt that shit, you know. Well, and it's growth. So, like it's always growth, right? Like that's part of the business that's unappealing to me. It's like, is mm -hmm. it okay if we just tread water and maintain no, for like two years? It's really fun when it's your own business, though. It, so okay, okay, okay. Let me let me just make this point real yeah, quick. Yeah, I'm sorry. Which I was, quit interrupting you. My fault. When when I quit, when I quit, that first week of not having that full-time job and I'm doing my own thing, I had a realization and it was something that I had kind of known in the back of my mind, but I'd never really consciously 
thought of directly. And it was the anxiety that I felt about having to ask for time off. And I was like, I will never have to ask for time off again. And when I thought, I thought more about that because that's my way. And <laughs> it had to, again, it came back to control. It came back to like being the master of your own universe. Like if you have to ask, think about it this way. Time is the most valuable resource. It's the only thing you can never get back. You could lose all your money. You could make more money, right? You could get fat as shit. You could lose weight. You can, you can be starving and you can somehow come across more food, but you can never get time back. And you have to ask someone if you can take time to yourself. That's fucking wild to me. That I, I have no problem with the employee system. It's just not, I just realized like, it's just not for me. I don't wanna fucking ask someone for my time off. You're trading your freedom for comfort. You're trading your freedom for a paycheck. You're trading your freedom for predictability. I trust myself enough to be able to not trade my freedom, to take my freedom back, and to make something happen for myself, right? And that's, um, so that realization came with the fact that I'd never have to ask for time off again. And I was like, that's fucking powerful, man. Like... I feel, I felt like 10, 10 pounds lighter, man, just off of that. Yeah, right. Like, I, I don't even know because I've never felt the freedom, but I also don't feel like I feel that pressure. Think of it like this. Like you get, you get three months off for summer, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. You know, like the first week you're like, this is exciting. You're kind of like living your life. You're like, oh, I don't have to go to work next week. And then somewhere in the middle, you're not even thinking about work or having to go to work or the fact that you could do whatever you want. But then the closer you get to school, then you're thinking about like, oh, I got to go back. Yeah, last week. No, yeah, but yeah. then like, I don't know, man. It's, it's like being week. in the middle, dude. Yeah, the so part where it doesn't even register anymore. Here's where I would kind of push back. And I wonder if this is corporate, not to say that you weren't doing good for the world, but there's huh. something about fucking working with kids every day and yeah. feeling like you're making a difference in a community, in a life, even yes. if, even if I'm not, even if I'm the worst fucking person, I make your kids dumber, right? Like I feel I I'm making a difference. And for some reason that makes me feel good. And it makes yeah. me feel like the time I'm giving is mm -hmm. valuable. So like I coach basketball, I'll do an open gym for free. Kids can stay, pick up at 4:15. Every fucking Friday, I'll be there at 4.30, 4.45. And I'm like, look, man, call your fucking parent. I'm just taking you home. And I, <laughs> I, I give up a half hour of my, my life on top of what I've given up. But I yeah, look yeah. at the ride as like, I don't know, man. Let me, let me get to know this kid. Let me get to know what they take. And then maybe a couple of years, I'll, have, I'll be in a class with them. And I'll have to help them learn how to write an essay. And they'll get an opportunity. Or they'll get some work yeah. ethic. Or whatever Like I, I romanticize it as. But like I wonder if people in corporations and maybe it's cause I've watched like the office and office space and movies like that. It just seems so unfulfilling cause all you are chasing ideally is the paycheck where when it's yours, you're chasing yeah. the ideal. Yeah. So you're, you're definitely right. And there is nuance in this, right? Yeah. Which is there are careers that are within the employee employer system and set 
set up that are wildly fulfilling jobs. Almost like symbiotic relationships. Yeah, it is symbiotic. Well, I think, I like I said, man, I, I try, I talk a lot of shit on it because it wasn't for me. Yeah. But at the same time, I laugh at, like, there was all these people in the Portland office that were like, this is slavery. I'm a wage slave. I'm like, no, you're not. You can, you have the freedom to go somewhere else if you want. You have the freedom to quit and make your own business. Yeah. Your fucking boss isn't hiring people to chase you down and bring you back across a border. Exactly. (laughs) The way we're going, we might get there. But, um, so, so I don't hate the system. I don't hate the system. Actually, dude, fuck, that reminds me. One of my favorites, I like the Joe Rogan podcast. This yeah. is, of course I like the we Joe do. Rogan We're white guys. We're white middle-aged guys. So we have to <laughs> right. like the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah. Well, I'm middle-aged. Uh, you're younger. Sorry. <laughs> well, it was my black and Japanese, my Blasian wife who turned me on to the Joe Rogan podcast. So there is that at least. <laughs> but anyway, so I like the Joe Rogan podcast and he had Guy Ritchie on. Guy Ritchie's one of my, he's been one of my favorite directors for a long time. I love his like, london gangster shit and he had this amazing like this there's this 14 minute clip and he said don't hate the player hate the game he's like (laughs) don't hate the system love this system because you're in it yeah there's nothing that you can do to get out of it like this is just this is the way that it is right and there's all these rules there's things that you can do within it and there's things that you can't do within it there's uh consequences for everything right so learn how to do something with that and so for me it wasn't it wasn't being a cog in the corporate machine i was very fulfilled working at the boys home that i worked at that was fulfilling work but it didn't fulfill my pockets right like that's the sweet spot that was a big thing right that's the sweet spot and so it also comes down to values like I value freedom to the point of like not being tied anywhere, not having to do anything I don't want to do. And the only way to really get there is through wealth. So by extension, I value wealth. And I valued that this might make me a bad person to some people, might make me a piece of shit. I don't know. Maybe I am. I valued that more than I valued maybe helping the one kid out of 200 every two years, right? Because when I was there, I don't deal with, when we are there, we're not dealing with quote unquote regular kids. Like we're dealing with fucking assholes and severely traumatized kids that like, and they're at a weird age where it's almost like they're set in stone. They're like 13 to 17. So much has already happened and they already believe shit that like you're not fucking changing them, dude there's one kid out of every generation of them that you can really make a mark on as a school teacher. It's different because the kids are a little bit more adjusted, a lot more adjusted actually. Yeah, maybe, or maybe um, like the idealism I'm just ignorant to. And like, it doesn't, maybe I should be a nihilist and be like, whatever the fuck <laughs> I am, it'll just I, I be what it is. I don't think nihilism is the way to go. Right? But... <laughs> no, but I guess what I'm thinking about is like, if, you believe in freedom and a little bit of like, maybe you have an intuition and you have gut, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't it better for everyone in the world? Literally you making this decision, it's better for everyone in the world because why would the world want you in a place that you don't want to be in? 
How does that make the world better? That's a good way to look at it, man. Do you know what I'm saying? I appreciate like, that. <laughs> no, but for real, like people have different passions. Like, do you want a cook yeah. that fucking hates cooking? You want to go to that restaurant? Right. No, nobody does. You want no. a waiter that hates fucking being the restaurant. waiter? You know, like think about that shit. Like yeah. I want a carpenter that fucking enjoys building a deck, man. And like, that's his fucking day. And like that yeah. dude is like, I love working my hands and being outside and figuring out like the shit ain't level. And like, like, like that's what I want. And if you're not doing what you want, man, I want you to be able to go do it. Cause I think yeah. in default, it does make the world a better place. Cause you're more fulfilled and your, your family's going to feel that. And you yourself yeah. are going to make better decisions. You're not going to have fucking road rage and want to shoot people up going to work. Cause you're in gridlock. Yeah. Oh God. I don't miss those days. Our traffic got really bad. So yeah, 100% man, to your point. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier when I had quoted uh, Carl Jung, like fix yourself. That is a fix to society. Fix yourself. Like do the things that are fulfilling to you because you're going to be a happier, more fulfilled person, which means you have more capacity and resources to take care of the people that you want to take care of and that need that that could actually use your help. You can't save everyone, but you can save the person who wants to be saved or who needs help. You can't help everyone, but you can help the person that wants to be helped. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if, yeah, if, if you're in the position to help where it, dude, there's nothing yep. worse than, um, there was this picture of a, I think it was, was it a beach in Australia? There was this, there, there was a fucking like, um, like 30 or 40 beached whales very recently oh, i saw it on judge report I, I didn't click on the link i'm the dude that just sees the title and sees the picture but the picture is there's one guy with like a bucket putting water on this whale and there's like yeah. 40 in the background and it's like 35 have died 10 are surviving and you're like this one dude with a bucket had to choose what whale to save man versus yeah. if the whales wanted to and i guess they want to be saved but like people who want to be saved and if the dude had buckets like there would be more help. I don't know why I yeah. thought about that analogy, but I'm like, it's terrible feeling if I want to help somebody, if I want to help a kid eat, but I don't have enough money to feed my own family, I'm gonna feel like shit if I can't give some strange kid 10 bucks and we're on a field trip. Like if I'm strapped yeah. for cash and whatever, we're in DC and the kid's there and he's like, oh, the food court's really cool. Yeah, sorry, fuck you, bro. I packed my own lunch. <laughs> you can't go get chicken fingers. You know, like I feel like yeah, shit, yeah. but if... I've budgeted and I've made myself where I'm financially solvent. Now I can give the kid $10 and I feel good about that. Now the kid feels good. You know, like, I yeah. guess that's what I was thinking. I don't know if the whale yeah. thing actually connected. I don't think it did. I think, well, I, I think, <laughs> I think it does, right? Like if the whale is, is conscious enough to want to be saved, who knows? But you know what it does? It does remind me. Did you ever watch iRobot with Will Smith? Yeah. Dude, rest in peace to Will Smith's career, man. That you was think? such a disappointment. Yeah. You think That's, it's over? It's over for me. Really? Yeah. Never Will again Smith, watch it. So check this out, man. Will Smith was like my idol growing up. My mom used to tell me that Will Smith was my dad. Stop. I'm serious. I'm serious. She's like, you got Will Smith's ears. Like, he's your dad. <laughs> There is a time where I believed it too. And um, I, was... I fucking loved Will Smith, man. And then the slap heard around the world happen. And it was so disappointing. And I was like, I'm not that good of a person where I can just forgive and forget. <laughs> why are you I so... thought it was. Yeah. Why are you so bothered by it? 
so that, that's an interesting question, man. I don't even know if I can answer that yet. Like that's one I'm still processing. As I said, that's my way, right? Like I think about these things and um, some might say it's like, I'm wasting my time thinking about it, but I don't know, man. Like I, my mind just naturally goes to it. So when it happens, like people were making fun, people were laughing about it. People were like shocked and I just felt sad. I just felt really bad. I felt really bad for Chris Rock first. Like, that's pretty humiliating. I've been humiliated in front of people. It doesn't feel good. But like, you, you, you snap back. Like, if you're, if you're resilient, you snap back. I think Chris Rock snapped back. But like, secondary to that, I just started feeling really bad for Will Smith. I've been the person that loses my shit in front of other people. Hmm. I've never been in a good place when that happened. I never feel good about myself. I never feel like I gained anything. I never feel like I won. I just feel like I took. I took from people's, I took people's time. I took their, maybe their good feelings away. And now they have bad feelings. Like I was just a piece of shit in those moments. Will Smith was a fucking piece of shit in that moment, right? Oh, you know what? And now I'm coming to a realization that because I can empathize with that, I should forgive him. Because <laughs> then by default, you are a piece of shit. And everyone should yeah. quit you for the rest of your life. Yeah, for real, ah. right? <laughs> you're helping me. You're helping me work through this, man. No, well, but in that moment, though, I just felt really sad. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like, especially since like his public persona, this is one of those, this was one of those cracks in celebrity culture, like where we realize celebrity culture is not what it seems like the whole thing is just a sham and kind of falling they're always apart. on man they're always they're on and it fucks you up dude. It, it's bill it's it's not as serious as what cosby did but like i was listening to um was it eddie murphy's delirious where he does the cosby <laughs> thing and he talks about cosby <clears throat> calling him and how like aggressive he is you can't curse so much and my son's coming home yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. going with the boom and it's like so cosby was the moral person against eddie murphy and yeah. eddie murphy i believe had like the transvestite thing right like eddie murphy got into some like sketchy shit too and mm -hmm. yet he's still in a better place in america than cosby think about yeah. that back in the fucking 80s if you'd say that and like right. will smith had that and until the slap like what was against will smith he had that cosby vibe like who's fucking yeah. better, man? Who's right? Who's he didn't more? curse in his raps. Like yeah. he was kind of like, do it all. Shredded, could act, could gain weight. Like whatever you fucking want to be entertained. Will yeah. Smith's your dude. Yeah, and to think that like, I think what's crazy is like whatever fucking weird relationship thing he's got going on, led to him humiliating himself and humiliating someone else in front of millions of people. That's pretty wild. Like, that's really interesting to me. I, I can't really consciously tell you why that's so interesting, but it is. There's a lot of psychology there. You know, like, was he, I don't know, you know, was he drunk? Was he, if he was sober, it's like, dude, you got to be really overcome with some fucked up, like, emotions to, he leaned into it, man. He leaned into the screaming at him. He leaned into the slapping him. And then for several weeks he like pretty much maintained that he didn't do anything wrong and it's like your your psychological defenses are up so high 
what else are you blinding yourself to, dude? You know? I mean, there was, I don't know. I, I've not studied it. It's almost like us speculating about surfing. So I might as well ride this <laughs> wave. Um, but like, wasn't there so much shit about her like openly cheating and then for yeah. them to be at a table publicly yeah. and to her be embarrassed. I don't know what that would do to me if like, I don't know what's been said between those two about like their reconciliation talks and those reconciliation yeah. talks get fucking deep, man. Those counseling and the money they got the fucking woo woo yeah. like people counselors they could go to. They might've yeah. fucking like swapped some bone marrow to like remake <laughs> their marriage. You know, That's like their wild bond. shit, dude. We need to start that business. Like we will get you guys on the same level because you're going to be in each other's bones. Yeah, like, it's it's literally you will. Do you want a we'll forever a, marriage? Because yeah, we can share your DNA. We'll do a blood transfusion, and <laughs> it'll be you'll never feel so connected. Once Neuralink happens, we'll do like some weird hack where it actually <laughs> like they actually do get to be one, and the first one oh, to do it, it's like um, a platonic. What's it called? Mutual destruction. Where if like one dies, the other die. Yeah. So like mutual yeah, mutually assured destruction. Yes. So that'll be it. Like, okay, you want the forever marriage, man? Here it is. Here it is. Get to oh the my spot. God. But no, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why I empathize. Like, I don't see it as a deal breaker. Like, do you listen to Michael Jackson music and you're like, I do. I love Skip? Michael. That's fucked up. You can't do that. It's a fucking I know, pedophile. Right? I watch a lot of Harvey Weinstein produced movies too. Yeah, right? Like, who doesn't yeah. fucking like? One of my Jay favorite. Jay Silent Bob. <laughs> right. I was for me. It was Kill Bill. I was watching Kill Bill, and it was like Weinstein Productions. I was like, nice. Okay. Yeah. He did. He made a lot of. He funded a lot of really great fucking movies. Yeah. One of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, the dude got me too. I still listen to them because it's like. I, I do believe, okay, so it probably contradicts what I was saying, like, or how I feel That's what I'm about Will Smith, right? But it's like, you do have to separate the artist from the art. Okay, so that is the thing. Even though I'm disappointed by his career <laughs> ended to me, right? Like, you're never coming back from that. That's what he's going to be remem remembered for, right? I still watched Independence Day, like, the other day, right? Like, it's a good fucking movie, okay? Jeff Goldblum, are you kidding me? Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith, that's a okay. great duo. It's actually kind of like an animal odd couple. I always yes. thought Jeff Goldblum was such a strange. Why does Hollywood do this? Jeff Goldblum, great. I love Jeff Goldblum. Why did Hollywood try to make him like a Hollywood heartthrob? He's not attractive. Did they? He's not like. Fuck yeah, you, man. Hey, fuck you. Have you seen The Fly? Shirt <laughs> off. He had he, so he had a night. That's what I'm talking Manscaped, about. Right? He had a nice body. The fucking hair on that guy. Are you kidding me? With the right lighting, tried to it's make a, him a. Okay, they tried to he's... not make him a heartthrob. That's what <laughs> they, they did by kept making him a fucking monster. geek. Yeah, and a <laughs> fly. They, could. they ruined oh, that man. man. So no, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is no Ryan Gosling. Okay, I have, I have a, I'm a total. Uh, Gosling is my bear. Yeah, right. dude, got got Gosling. It's funny. It's whatever. whatever. Like, there's so many stupid ass jokes, but it's like, yeah, Gosling's impossible. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely impossible. <laughs> Fucking awesome. He's funny. He can act dramatic. Like people kind of write him off because he was used as a mannequin throughout his early career. Like that's what he was. He was 
there to look good and not act, right? But like as his career's gone on, the dude's got chops. Have you seen uh, The Nice Guys? That's like one of my favorite movies right now. Him and Russell Crowe. Corny stupid. There, dude, there's a lot of hot guys that have that like corny stupid vibe to them. Uh, like you, who? Ryan who Reynolds, Chris Pine. Chris Pine. I think Chris Pine's a little dude. You're spot on with Ryan Reynolds. He is goofier though. Like Gosling's got kind of the quiet. Okay, I don't want to. I don't want to go into this. <laughs> I will. I'll end up talking for like 40 minutes. <laughs> no, but it's interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, but you, no, one, go ahead. You're going to ask a question. Well, just about you being a cinephile. Like, so are you into movies like that? Yeah. Like, it seems like you do take entertainment extremely serious. It matters to you. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, I, I kind of grew up with TV as part of that generation. My mom was a single mom. She worked a lot. She had two jobs at one point. We were kind of me, my mom, my brother on our own in Vegas. And so TV was a big part of it. Um, but then it was in college, a buddy of mine, Riley, he was studying film and he started teaching me more about like camera angles and all of this shit. And I got real into it. And I also have a couple other friends, Luca and Johnny, shout out to them. Uh, they have like every movie line memorized. And so when I hung out with them, I had to keep up. Yeah, dude, that's some fucking talk about pressure. Yeah, one for upping, real. One upping to like get yeah. the next line that makes sense. Yeah. And so, <laughs> exactly. And then it became, there was a, uh, I still love doing this, but like quoting a movie in context, like in a context that makes sense yeah. is like, it's like a one, it, it's lit, not one upping someone, but like a one up in Mario. Yeah. You know, where you like yeah, you hit grow. the thing and you get that extra life Fucking or, you, or you get tail. the mushroom and you grow. Yes. Yeah. That's what it feels like to me when I can make a reference to a movie in context, like quote it in real life in context in a way that makes sense. I love it. That's when I felt I grew up when I quoted a movie and I'm like, when was the fucking, it was actually the office in Dwight Schrute. So like I'm in this meeting and like they're mm. whatever doing. I just love making fun of my job. I'm like, I don't fucking do anything all day, whatever. I'll just walk around. So like, I forget what it, it was Gabe from the office. And like, he has no fucking purpose and he's just dying for a purpose. And he was like, that's what I'll do today. So like I hit him with that shit. They were like, yeah, we just need copies made. I'm like, that's what I'll do today. And I grab it and I fucking bounce. And then like, I'm walking and I realized like, dude, when's the last time you just said some stupid shit from a movie that people would get? I'm like, you're fucking yeah. old, man. Like you need to, you need to like watch more shit or you need to pay attention to more shit. Like when you're not multitask when you're doing it. But like, yeah. I think that's it. Like kids, they're enthralled in it and they connect mm -hmm. to it and it sticks with them. But yeah, yeah, I felt it was my Peter Pan moment. I like, I felt old because I hadn't done it. <laughs> um, well, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm sorry, right there dude, with I'm you, man. cutting you off, but dude, I want to do, I do want to hear the why Jeff Goldblum's not hot so that I can hate you for the rest of your it's life. It's not that Jeff Goldblum's not hot. He's just not a heartthrob. I thought that was a weird Hollywood, Hollywood's trying to do it right now with Pete Davidson. He's the ugliest motherfucker on the planet. He's annoying. He's not funny. He's on the worst fucking comedy show in the world that should, like, SNL needs to be put to rest. Yeah. Like, it really does. Pete Davidson sucks. Why is he shoved down our throats? Like, why is he in every fucking movie? Why are they trying to put him in rom-coms? Like, it makes no sense. Is that where our, like, 
that that's when I'm like, our culture is deteriorating because a like drug addict dad bod ugly guy is who we're supposed to look up to in Hollywood now. Very judgmental. I, it's, it doesn't I, go I, over my head, but I'm not breathing. I'm, I'm not breathing to say thinking anything you just said was wrong. I was breathing <laughs> to be like, what's the why? What's and, the why to that? And is it just yeah. the name attached to it? Like, could the name supersede the aesthetics? As far as like draw, because end of the day, you just want money, you just want clicks, you just want like, you, you yeah. want views. So if the name's a pull with Kardashian magnetism, that well, that's that is that is it is it is essentially unchecked capitalism. So it doesn't matter what you it look like, but it does. You know, you're right. It doesn't matter what you look like as, as long as you can pull, right? As long as you have pull, it doesn't matter. I'm. I guess I'm. I think Mark maybe Wahlberg. I think too much. What's that? I just thought of the fourth Mark Wahlberg. I fucking love Mark Wahlberg's humor. Mark. Yeah, he going on my Ryan Gosling, Chris Pine. Funny man. Like there, there's a lot of these like heartthrob dudes that then go into the I'm that like dry humored, say stupid shit guy, and it's like yeah, you're fucking amazing at it because you're so good looking. Nothing you say, even if you're not funny, I just enjoyed watching you talk. Yeah. Wahlberg Wahlberg had me at four brothers. Dude. I think that's yes. a really good movie. Dude, it, it's it's insanely it, like when you talk about what is America, yeah. that's fucking America. Because you know what it's about? <laughs> Not about race. And when it is about race, they don't give a yeah. fuck about the race. They give a fuck about right. how hard you can punch and how much yeah, you're yeah. there for somebody. And it's really yeah. about economics. That's yeah. fucking America. Economics. That's 100% right, man. So, okay. Uh, I know I bounced everywhere on you. You, So you're trying to make a (laughs) storyline. It's fine. There's one more thing I want to say about the celebrity thing. And then I want to bring it back to the psychology stuff because I think everything, like when we talk about the Will Smith thing, when we talk about the Pete Davidson thing, the Jeff Goldblum thing, it's all for me, psychology. Psychology all plays its part, right? But there is one point, just as a fellow cinephile. So my wife and I played this game where we kept saying either or, like um, uh, Jeff Goldblum or Pete Davidson. And then you choose one, right? And you choose based on, like, I guess, who, you, who you'd who you want to watch more, right? So, like, obviously Jeff Goldblum, right? And then it'd be Jeff Goldblum or Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. I'd watch more, like, Brad Pitt. Brad, if I had to choose between... Only Brad Pitt movies and only Jeff Goldblum movies, Brad Pitt. So we went through this with actors and actresses. And it came down to where I couldn't choose someone over this other person. No matter what name got brought up, I couldn't choose someone. And it was the most surprising person to me. William Defoe. And actually, no, he's really good, but I would still choose this person over William Defoe. Stop. Okay. And it's it's actually in line with a lot of the other shit that I've said because it's kind of controversial. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Tom Cruise. Dude, Tom Cruise is a fucking man. He's so good. He's so he's fucking funny. What is his bad movie? What is Tom Cruise's bad movie? You're right. It's like the worst one, the one that I can think of where I'm like, I don't care about this. 
wasn't because of Tom Cruise. Cameron he did Diaz? Just fine. Was it the Cameron Diaz? They're on the bike. Night what is that something? One? I don't know, man. I just oh, I'm like, it was so terrible. Day. I never fucking I've watched never it. I've never seen that movie. Yeah, so then that's his bad movie. <laughs> yeah, that one. I was actually going to say Eyes Wide Shut. But Stop. I was much younger when I watched it. And I think it's an Oliver Stone movie, right? And it's like... Yo, it's streaming again on like... It popped up on my Netflix yeah, or something. I think I'm going to have to watch it. But I remember when I watched it, I was like, what the fuck is this, dude? Dude, so Vanilla Sky was my what the that fuck is this? dope, dude. But yeah, like I didn't get it at the... Like you just don't understand. It's too yeah, complex it's for a 20-year-old yeah. sitting next to a chick just hoping to get whatever in the movie theater, right? But like... <laughs> eyes, eyes wide shut. <laughs> yeah. No shit, but like those back-to-back movies were like the balls on you to do some shit like that in the fuck. What was that like? Nineties, late nineties, two thousand. Eyes Wide Shut would have been like early two thousands. Okay, yeah. I think I was like eleven or twelve or something. It was like yeah, so oh one, oh two, oh three, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, early two thousands, right? Yeah. So man, on like, you don't fucking go there from beach volleyball, right? Yeah, that's. I think you're right. I mean, it's like. My father-in-law was here the the other week uh, visiting from Japan and he really likes watching movies and shit. And he casually threw on Apocalypse Now and he had never seen it. And I'm like, you just casually put on like a three and a half hour movie that's like dark as fuck. <laughs> that was so, that, that's the same thing with Eyes Wide Shut. Like you don't just casually watch Eyes Wide Shut. No but um, <laughs> what reminded me of it was I watched Collateral again the other day. Yeah. And like, I'm amazed at how amazing that movie is every time i watch it collateral is like man jamie fox are you kidding me jamie fox and tom cruise and he's such a badass in it i get a boner like when he shoots people in that movie yeah so then that's another and this is so fucking geeky but it's like who are you taking to get to the car in the middle of a city when they have to get when they have to shoot the driver Mm-hmm. And they can only run. Mel Gibson or Tom Cruise? Tom Cruise. Stop. Over Mel? I would choose Tom Cruise over everyone, man. I love Mel. I love Mel. Apocalypto is one of my favorite movies. I know he didn't act in it, but he directed it. It's Just so good. Just rewatch that fucking thing, man. That is it's insanely good. good. Again, for the time period. You're like, what What movie's been better done? Tighter. Even uh, Passion of the Christ. Like, Mel Gibson just makes great fucking movies. And I have a very soft spot in my heart for those period pieces that are super accurate, like high attention to detail and spoken in the language. There's this movie called The First King. Have you ever heard of this? No. It's an Italian movie. All the dialogue is in an ancient form of Latin. Wow. And it is about the mythical founder of rome uh romulus and remus two brothers where one of them kills the other one and they're supposed to be raised by wolves dude that movie's fucking badass first king huh the first king yeah i have to check that shit out that might be worth four dollars on amazon or something 100 percent worth four dollars on amazon uh the sec- the guy that was hard to choose tom cruise over was val kilmer nah. but ultimately i had ew. to choose tom ew I, wow i don't think we it's might that not close be after them. yeah we I might not close. we might not be twin flames <laughs> maybe we'll have to live with ourselves <laughs> maybe i don't appreciate val kilmer actually because oh, val i'm trying to i don't even know if i could get down 
with three of his movies. Aside from Heat, I'm like, I know the Doors like video, Doors like the, 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 the post, yeah. but I don't remember it. Like I don't remember watching it or well, even again, wanting to watch Stone, it. It's another Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone movie. Every time I watch that movie, I'm like, this movie is not as good as I remember it being. And I love the Doors. Like I've met, I sat in the trailer with Ray Manzarek of the Doors, the keyboardist. He invited me in his trailer to hang out, which was awesome. How does that happen? Uh, I jumped on the stage at one of their concerts and I danced like Jim Morrison during Riders on the Storm and security tried to pull me off and the singer that replaced Jim Morrison at the time was like, no, no, I'll leave him on. And I danced on stage. Afterwards, someone comes up to me. He's like, you're the guy that got on stage. Here's a backstage pass. Ray wants to see you. He wants to talk to you. So me and my friends went back and hung out with Ray Manzarek. That's fucking crazy. I was like 16. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like, I, so I, I'm not a super concert person. I might ask terrible questions at this point. Like, okay. it, how do you get that close to the stage? What kind of shows are they doing at that point? Like a couple that was hundred an people? E well, that was an easy one because that was an outdoor concert and a lot of people were like sitting on the grass. And so no one was really like crowding the stage. Now I've been to a lot of concerts. I, I used to be into like the metal scene and the punk scene and all of that, where the crowd is like packed. Right. And there's ways, there's ways to get you can you can do kind of like if you're kind of skinny like me, you can kind of finagle your way through. Yeah. Or you can just like fucking push people out of the way. I like punk shows and metal shows. That's not really like a shitty thing to do. Yeah, but uh, it's easier when the music kicks in because you can almost like riding the wave and letting the wave kind of con have control, but you go with it. You could do that with a crowd. So I did it with, um, I've jumped on the stage many times. Bayside, <laughs> there's an awesome punk band called Bayside. And I jumped on the stage and I grabbed the mic and I shouted this, uh, this line from the song. That was one of my claims to fame. <laughs> And dude, so the doors at that point, if you were 16, it's like yeah. Rolling Stone kind of a thing where they're just yeah, like, man, they were old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was, uh, so Ray, the keyboardist and then, uh, John Densmore or not John, uh, Robbie Krieger, the guitarist, they were the original members in the band. They had a different drummer and a different singer mm -hmm. and they just kind of did these shows around. It was a pretty big show. It was like at a good hotel in Vegas. Um, uh, I was super into classic rock at that time, man. And like the Doors, Doors and Beatles were like my favorite. So that was a pretty much a dream come true. Dude, like it, that's fucking cool. I I really wondered, did you make him like go back in time? Was it was your dancing good enough, or like is he just like anybody who fucking cares anymore can come backstage? <laughs> or was it like yeah. special? I don't know, man. I, I'm sure I was totally blinded, like starstruck and all of that, but I didn't get that vibe. Like we had really interesting conversation about music. I, I, so I was a musician. I used to play a lot, a lot of guitar and make a lot of music. And that's what I wanted to do for a long time. Just not really any good at it. Um, but I love, like, Ray Manzarek was a, uh, he was a classical pianist before he was in the, the Doors. Huh. And he was, like, studying film or something. And so I like classical music. And I could talk with him about that. And we had, like, deep conversations about music and ask questions about what it was like touring with the Doors and all of that kind of stuff. So we talked for, like, 40 minutes, an hour or something. Dude, that's insane.
Yeah. It was it was fun, man. It was like I couldn't believe that it was happening. And then it was all I talked about for a long time. I still have the backstage pass around here somewhere. That's all now you're a total dad. You're like, yeah, it's around uh, here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Where it used to be like your go-to accurate. bar line to like exactly. make sure she overheard it. <laughs> yeah, that got me so many girls. I hung out with Ray Mancera. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, if you're in the right bar, it would. Um, he was 60. He invited me into his trailer when I was 16. <laughs> End scene. Right. <laughs> Blackout. Oh, um, man. So what's the, what did you take away anything? Like, did he give you any sort of, like, old advice that you felt shaped you? Because at 16, that's really fucking tough to be, like, influenced versus, like, I would be the pissing contest kid. Where I wouldn't even be, like, wise enough to listen. I probably still am not wise enough to listen. I don't think I was wise enough to listen either, but I wasn't in a pissing contest with him. That's a really interesting question that I'm going to have to think about. I, I came away like, I guess that whole experience made me realize these people aren't untouchable, you know, and the regular people. This isn't anything I consciously thought of at the time. But when I, if I'm having to put something on it, when I think back to it, like after that, I wasn't afraid to jump on stage. There, you know, there was nothing like stopping me from doing that anymore. That's fucking dope. Especially getting rewarded for it, you know? The risk, dude, again, outlier. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> that's, I don't, I, I struggle with risk. Like I took a risk with my business. And I'm lucky to be super supported by my wife who pushes me. And I have this motivator with my daughter. Um, but I guess there are those things that I didn't really think of, like like you just pointed out. Like, I guess it is a risk to jump over the barricade and jump on stage. You got to get past security. But I never really looked at it as a risk. It was more like I could, it was something that I could do and it was fun and maybe something cool would come out of it. Yeah, isn't that a business? Like That is a business. Yeah, that's your... <laughs> Goggins cookie jar thing. Did, Goggins cookie Did you jar. listen to, yeah, because he's like kind of, I don't know if he's exactly Vegas, but I, I did this bike thing over the summer and I was um, just riding a bunch of miles and I listened to his book and like that's- David Goggins? Yeah. Did he, did he did he do the audio for the book? Did he scream at you the whole time? He, um, he Dude, it was actually very interesting, his audio. He tried to do it like an audio podcast in between mm. chapters. So the guy that was interviewing him for the podcast, I don't know if it's a co-writer or business manager, was the uh, was the speaker. But then you'd end a chapter and Goggins would like reflect on it and talk about what mattered to him. So Goggins listened to the dude read it aloud and then they would yeah. live, they would record whatever, like his reflections. Exactly. That's really cool. Yeah, because he wanted to do something, I guess, different. He was like, it's going to be the first podcast reflection, you know, because he's that fucking guy. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, he, talk, he talks about like that cookie jar. Every experience, if you run 100 miles, you'll forever believe that you can run 100 miles because that's, oh, that's cookie pretty badass. Jar. And like for you, that applies to everything. Like once you get through a difficult thing, the next yeah. difficult thing is less difficult because – it's yeah. in your cookie jar to get through difficult shit. I guess that's true, man. Cause when I think about like, so I was figuring out, I was doing some real adult shit with the business the other day. 
where I was sitting down and figuring out uh, revenue goals. <laughs> I looked at how much I made last year from the business, which was only, I started in June of last year. So I only had six months, but I was able to estimate the rest because I only had one client was making the same amount of money the whole time. So I compared like 12 months last year to 12 months this year, projected for the rest of this year. And uh, if nothing changes, minimum, I'm going to have 171% growth this year with the business. Just fucking awesome. Like when I saw that number, I couldn't believe it. And even more, I compared quarter two's revenue of 2022, quarter two to quarter three, and there was 240% growth between the two quarters. And so I'm like, when I saw that, I was like, wow, this is real. That got added to the cookie jar. Like that wasn't that hard. If I actually put in more effort, and then what I did was I took the Fibonacci sequence and I project the golden ratio. You heard this? I don't want to distract I'm, you, but maybe that's okay, why I don't I'm, have a business. <laughs> no, this is this is something I learned uh, from my mentor as well. It's a, a exercise I did with his business where the Fibonacci sequence. I, I'm not going to explain it very well because I, I I don't know much about it, where it came from. And I'm not a huge math person as much as I would want to be. But the Fibonacci sequence is also called the golden ratio, where something about everything in life kind of aligns with this thing. And so it's used in business to measure the growth of a company. And so healthy businesses grow in line with the golden ratio, with the Fibonacci sequence. And it's okay. basically, it starts with one, or it starts with zero, but then it's one. And then whatever the next number is, it's just the, the last two numbers added. So it's like zero, one, one, two, three, like five, or four, nine, like something. Got just, you. 27. I'm just throwing numbers out. I don't fucking know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, multiplied. That's what it is. Multiplied by the last one, not added. So it's like one, one, two fucking something anyway pi two exactly. times 3. one is 1. two 4. two times two is four four times two is eight then it would exactly be... yes that's okay. it that's it that's it so gotcha. so then it projected out what we should see for growth in the next couple of years that seems so fucking aggressive because yeah, like if so... you hit a number like no wonder zuckerberg's a fucking billionaire exactly let me let me pull this up and i'll tell you the uh percentages because the percentages are like crazy and it was scary to look at it like it's so it's so I saw myself hit this 170% uh, growth. And then I was like, fuck, that's real. And it was like kind of like tough, but like not super, super hard, not super challenging. I did it and I could do more 100% could do more than that. And then when I projected it out over the next several years, it was like kind of scary, but I'm like, dude, I think I could do it. So next year, to stay in line with the golden ratio growth, I'm going to have to see 443% increase. 443% compared to this year. And I don't, because I suck at like, I don't know, setting shit up, but like we never actually said what your business is. Do, do we want to do like a quick, where well, it doesn't even have to be quick, but maybe talk about, what you're doing just for a little bit of context or you just want to keep being to. the mysterious man. Cause you do have dark hair. 
So I don't know if you enjoy <laughs> being the mysterious man. I, I like being the mysterious. Actually, I like being the center of attention more than anything. <laughs> but um, no, yeah, man, I would love to talk about the business. So, so it's a copywriting business. Right now I provide copywriting services, but I'm also in the process of flipping over into training people to be copywriters, whether they're going to write for, for my business or whether they're going to go out on their own, start their own business. Um, I'm going to be training them. So I'm already, already have someone right now that I'm training. I've got another one lined up uh, and I'm giving them my, I am teaching them essentially everything that I know, everything that I've learned uh, plus my own unique method of copywriting. So everyone kind of teaches their, you know, everyone has their own, uh, style or way of doing something. I have found that this kind of uniquely psychology influenced style mm. works really, really well. Um, well, at least for the people that I've been writing for. For your bills. So, <laughs> yeah, right. So um, so that's, that's what I do. And it's called future copywriting. So if anyone listening to the podcast wants to go, it's futurecopywriting.com. Great and website. I guess beautiful website. Go enjoy the uh, website. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> He's joking because he knows I don't like my website. But it's a website at the very least, and it's there. And um, anyone who signs up for the newsletter gets a little free gift, right? So just something about, actually, you should sign up for the newsletter, Sean, because there is something in there that could be valuable to your business. At least I think it's valuable to any business that's starting out. And I'm probably going to change that soon because I, I built the website when I was just a service provider, when I was just providing copywriting services. So even that report that I wrote was kind of more geared towards businesses. Um, copywriters or people who want to be copywriters could use it to get, you know, information about, it's all about email newsletters and, and lists and how to monetize a list. And so uh, copywriters could use it, but I think I'm going to, Eventually, I'm going to kill that one and replace it with something that's more geared towards the person that wants to, to do copywriting. And there's something interesting that came up about this, because when I was thinking about my ideal customer when it comes to future copywriting, I told you earlier, I, think, I don't think we were recording yet, but it was essentially my ideal customer is me five years from now had my trajectory not changed, right? Had I not started my own business. And when I think about who that person is psychologically, there was, it was nothing about copywriting. Copywriting is not, I'm passionate about whatever I do. So when I talk with people about copywriting, I've, I've heard a lot of clients and potential clients say like, like you got me, they tell me I got them really excited about their copy and about their marketing. And I'm like, dude, I don't give a fucking shit about copywriting. <laughs> like <laughs> as a, as a, as a, field of work as a field of practice. Like I'm good at it. I can do it. It's a skill that I have, but what I'm passionate about is freedom. Like we've been talking about that quite a bit throughout the pod. I am passionate about having the freedom to control my universe, to, to be the master of my universe, mm -hmm. like to put it in a, in a clever way. And copywriting happened to be the thing that was able to provide that to me and really more so than anything else I've ever tried. Because I tried other things, man. I tried Amazon FBA. I tried a clothing company. I tried fucking music, right? Yeah, this you, was you, the thing. 
I feel every all your experiences, I thought you were going to be like 45, 50, 55. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I, like you've I done just, a lot of shit, man. You're experienced. Well, I like, I like trying things. I'm really good. That's the thing is I'm really good at starting things. Really <laughs> bad at finishing things. And what's crazy about the business, and this is something that I know I'm on the right path, right? Because the business, I'm not burned out by it. There's no indication of it burning me out. That's a good point. I'm still super interested in it. And I'm very passionate about building my own business, whether it's copywriting. I've got plans for other sorts of businesses that I want to build. I have a path like, this is crazy. I've never, I never, ever thought that this, as much as I wanted to have the money for my own freedom, I don't, I think there was a big part of me that unconsciously I never really thought I could do it. It's, it's at, very unattainable to most people. At, like if I think about it, whatever, scaling, not to steal your thunder, but like scaling out this podcast, I'm like, Jesus, dude, could it be? You hear about Rogan's right. $200 million Spotify. You're like, dude, if I got 1% of that. Yeah. I mean, know, that could change your life, right? Yeah. No, no fucking doubt. But then you're like, then you try to start doing shit and you're like, yo, 1% of what the most successful person did seems so unattainable and then it's just deflating and defeating well so how about this okay i never wrote copy until june 2021 last june that's the first time i ever wrote copy okay hang on i was a writer before i wrote stuff i've written stories and blogs and all of that stuff but i never wrote copy and it's a totally different style of writing and i started making money immediately I replaced my full-time income within seven months of starting. And now I have a vision to make over a million dollars by the time I am 35. That's in two years, two or three years, 35. That like, I never thought. And what it, I think a, a big part of it, it's, we can get back into the new agey talk, right? Believing that it's true, believing that it's possible is so important. Uh, speak it into existence type shit. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's an actual real thing. And, and so, okay. So one of the clients that I work with is, I think he used to do hypnosis was like a thing. And I never really knew anything about hypnosis. Okay. And I don't, and now I don't, it's not something I'm like, everyone should be hypnotized or anything like that. I don't really care about hypnosis but I started learning about it because I'm working with this guy that like does it or whatever. And I realized that we are more, I learned about it. The more I realized we're just hypnotizing ourselves all like hip, hypnosis Ooh. is actually very simple. Yeah. Hypnosis is just about, it, it's about getting your mind. So actually the act of hypnosis is like getting you into a state of calm so that you can be suggested to do things, right? And then you do those things. But we actually do that all the time, nonstop in our minds. And that's with the words, the stories that we tell ourselves. Like we all live in a story. We're all the hero of our own story. Mm -hmm. And we're all telling ourselves a narrative. That's why we love movies. It's why we love, it's why we listen to songs that have a beginning, a middle, and an end, and no one really gives a shit about avant-garde music. Like, there are those kind of people that do, but, like, it doesn't really resonate on that really deep emotional level with us. But what does is narratives, stories, 
because that's all we do to ourselves. We just inundate ourselves with stories, either from ourselves or from, from the world. So when I was telling you earlier about that um, Joe Rogan episode with Guy Ritchie, he was also talking about this, that there's a world out there trying to tell you who you are. And there's a world in here trying to tell you who you are. And you have to pick which one you're going to listen to, right? And I realized most of my life, I was telling myself some pretty fucked up stories. I can't do it. Oh, that's too hard. Oh, I'm not good at math. Oh, and, and guess what? Whatever I said I couldn't do, I never did. Mm. Whenever I told myself I wasn't good at math, I sucked at math. Right? We tell ourselves these stories, whether they're true or not. So when you start, so this is the self-hypnosis pit. Any self-help book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, Psycho-Cybernetics is the one that, that I had uh, read that where I had this realization. Any self-help book that promises to change something about you is really just teaching you how to change the stories that you tell yourself. And now that's what I do in copy. I tell people stories through copy because stories make people emotional. Emotional people buy things, right? So I want to sell things that help people be better. So I tell them stories about these things and they can make that choice. Like if they, if they buy into the story, they make their choice, they buy it. Um, and it's just kind of a form of hypnosis. I'm not saying that I'm going around hypnotizing people, but we all hypnotize ourselves. Mass email manipulator. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but that's what we're all doing, man. We're all just hypnotizing ourselves with the stories that we tell ourselves. So uh, get like... No, dude, it, it's... And just to give you a second to maybe get your thoughts, but I think it's a great point about the limits you put on yourself because either someone hasn't told you you can do it. And that's part of what I like about teaching is like, I love the fact that some kid looks at me and who the fuck am I? But I look at that mm -hmm. kid and I'm like, my God, man, you're smart. You know what that kid mm -hmm. walks away thinking? I'm smart. I'm good at reading. Even if that kid gave me the worst answer, you know what I tell them? I'm like, dude, that was brilliant. Let's roll. You know why I tell them it's brilliant? So mm -hmm. that they do it again. And then I try to eh, maneuver it to what's actually correct. Because you know what yeah. happens as soon as I tell them? N no. No, that sucked. Done. It just shuts them down. Yeah. Done. They're done you thinking, slam a door done in trying, done. All right, yep. just fucking tell me what I need to do. Great, I'll be compliant. And you're like, nah, man, I like, dude, great job. Great job. Yeah. That's what you in tell psychology, babies. In psychology, you're positively reinforcing them. Yeah, e even if you're kind of lying. Like I've had teachers be like, but that wasn't whatever figurative language. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Did he speak? <laughs> great. I'm gonna have him speak again. And I'm just gonna keep yeah. throwing shit up there. And you know he'll what? He'll learn because, what figurative language Because is. he's speaking and engaged, he'll do it. And like the mind's a very interesting thing to think about that because why don't we go down the thought of what if? How can I? Yeah. Because we yeah. think of the nots versus the well hows. And yeah. I don't know why that's easier for us to. I don't know if that's like a life thing. Like we wanna survive on some evolutionary thing and the risk means die. Where like yeah. not means survive. But I think so you're right about that. That's a really interesting point that you brought up. A lot of my work, 100% just has to do with survival. <laughs> really? Yeah. So copy works if it speaks to someone's survival. Not necessarily directly. Not like if you don't buy this, you will die. <laughs> but there are, um, there are certain things that trigger our mind 
trigger our old brain, our reptilian brain, right? That ape brain that we had in the savannas. That's things like um, health, 100%, right? Because that's, that's a pretty direct line to survival. If your health is poor, you will die. But uh, more subtly than that is our need to belong to a group. Mm. We have to be, we have to have an in-group because if we're outcast, think about that. Like if you're in the wild and your group kicks you out because you smell bad, you're dead. You know, like you need a group, you need an in-group. And uh, so that's, that's like one of the things. So fuck, I had this again, this happened, but it was tied to something that you were saying. Essentially survival. Yeah. Essentially it is about survival. Uh, and, and that comes down to like that, that's what it is. So when we talk about taking risks, you equated risk with death, 100%. Like we follow, we look to leaders that can take risks because they risk their life instead of us risking our life. They come back and they give us the safe path, right? That's what a leader essentially does or a leader or a hero. That's the idea is that they go on this journey they risk their life to learn something. They bring it back to us. And now we have the easy way. And that's how history moves forward. Um, However, we live in a really interesting time. Okay. And this is why I like people like David Goggins, Jocko Willink, Joe Rogan, these guys, because they speak a lot to this. We live in the safest era in human history. We live, there's less crime there's less death, there's less war, there's less poverty. Like you've heard all these statistics. Like the media would have you think differently because they want, they need your mind in panic fear mode in order for you to click, Yeah. right? But the truth is statistically, we live in the safest time in human history, especially as Americans. Dude, the poorest of our poor is fucking living like a king compared to the poorest of the poor in Borneo. Like, I don't know if you want to get into African statistics. I'm not even sure where Borneo is, but like, yeah, like our social services are insane. The fact that we, as a species, literally try to help the weakest survive. Like right. we make it a point That's of emphasis. That's how much resources we have. That we that can we share care. and spread yeah. them. That we can that share far. and care about the weakest uh, that sounds mean, but it's true. The weakest yeah. of our people, right? Of our group. Yeah. And that's what any group does. Like any group with resources is going to take care of the weakest. But when resources are tight, yeah, like they're going to be the first to go, right? That's what we see all throughout history. However, so we live in the safest time. We live in the most resourceful time that we've ever had in human history. That fear of risk is nothing but a leftover of a bygone era. Not saying that we, not saying that it can't come back, not saying that, that we'll, we won't end up in a future where like it is survival, but it's not survival for Americans. Like most Americans, it's not survival now. It's not live or die every moment. Like it was for most of human history. Yeah. I just wrote this, I just wrote this thing for a client uh, one of the eBooks that I wrote for them. And in it, I talked about how humans from our, our oldest ancestors to current day have been around for 2 million years. We've been safe 
for like a blink of an eye, right? So most of human history is that fucking survival. You're either alive or you're dead. Fuck you. Nature is harsh, right? Can't trust you. Right. Might take what I got. Yeah, exactly. And so now we live in society where it's like, okay, well, we actually don't have to worry about that. So the risk that the, the fear that we feel over risk, the fear we feel over taking risks, which is really what we're overcoming when we're selling people things is the fear of risk is a false fear in today's world because there is no real risk to trying a podcast. There is no real survival risk for starting my business because you know what? If my business fails, I can go get a job. Naval said that shit and that, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Naval and I might've even heard it. I heard of him because of Rogan's podcast, but he was like the Worst thing you can do to yourself is think of money as a limited resource. Guess what happens if you lose money? You go make more. more. And he was like, if you can like truly believe in that, you will be free because you no longer look at it from a scarcity standpoint, which doesn't promote any sort of growth, risk, or even enjoyment it puts you on edge and protection and it's uncomfortable to have because what do you do? You're fearful of it being lost. So you're protective and you can't like, you don't survive being protective. You can't even go eat being protective because how could you leave it? You know, like shit like that, like real philosophically, it makes a lot of sense. So then why don't more people take risks <laughs> in your experience talking with because... people? Like how come we don't know this and accept that there is no failure, there is no risk? There's no shortage of people talking about this. You listen to Rogan. Rogan talks about this all the time. Almost every guest on Rogan talks about this in some capacity, yeah. some way, shape, or form. We hear it all the time. We just don't believe it because we're telling ourselves a different story in our mind. We're hypnotizing ourselves to believe that we are at risk. So this is really stupid, but I guess since I love interrupting your train of thought and telling <laughs> stories, a very interesting um maybe psychological test or like personal entertainment thing would be I talk with people, teachers, and they're like, Mm -hmm. well, they're going to get upset. Whatever, a choice about a book, about an assignment. Well, I I might get an email. Mm -hmm. From who? Someone who's upset. Who would that be? Yeah. Well, they. Who's the they? You got a hundred kids. The dad. And you're like, so how many emails are you picturing? And they're like, like one or two. Okay. So you get one or two emails and then what happens? Well, I get in trouble. Okay. What's trouble? Um, and then you're like, no, seriously, what do you see as trouble? Well, the principal comes and talks to me and what does he say? Mm-hmm. Um, says I shouldn't do it or I, I should apologize. What are they actually losing? And okay. And then what? Yeah. Then I have to email them back or, or, or I don't do it next year. <laughs> I'm like, so you don't lose your job. Yeah. Like, okay. So you're worried about this hypothetical day on this hypothetical situation on a chain of consequences that ultimately doesn't really lead to much discomfort. And that you gave that 20 minutes of your thought process and it yeah. made you feel uncomfortable and it didn't even fucking happen. 
And you're like, what is that? Like, but that's such a small thing. I can imagine with businesses, but I feel like that's that limiting mindset. You're speaking to like 75 super important psychological aspects of this, right? Like you're, cause you're spot on. I, the same exercise that you just went through, I run with my wife because (laughs) she works at this company. And I was like, I was like, my love just don't work as much for them. She's like, no, 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 you don't understand. There's a lot that has to be done. I'm like, no, I understand because I've worked at the same company. I know that everyone says everything is, is urgent and all of this stuff. Urgent, marked urgent. And I was like, but just don't do it. You choose not to do it, right? (laughs) Choose to do less at the company and choose to do more at home or whatever it is. And um, she was really afraid to do that. And when we talked about it, I ran through the exact same exercise that you did, right? So you're speaking to a couple things. One of the things is that humans are really bad at predicting the future. Yeah, my portfolio would uh, agree with you. <laughs> yeah, we're really, really bad at predicting the future. Yeah. I mean, like if we all got into Tesla, right? Like <laughs> no at that shit. time. Bitcoin at a fucking grand. I'm like, nah, it's a sham. Um <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then we all waste like hella money getting Ethereum and we're like, uh. <laughs> um, so we're really bad at predicting the future, uh, mostly because we put a lot of weight in negatives. So that was another thing that you're speaking to. I can't remember the name of the bias, but there, it, it, it's something like the anchoring bias or something like that, where we put more weight in negative shit than positives. So think about it this way, like, I'm so afraid to die that I won't risk doing like doing something that's going to make me feel alive. Yeah, yeah man. I, right. I, I love like, the fuck to fight ratio. You need six fuck. positive interactions for every one negative interaction in a relationship in order to have a relationship sustain. It's, it's also why at the Oscars when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock, that was the one thing talked about. That was the most negative thing. Yeah. And it stole the show because we put more weight in negativity. People, uh, here's a here's a marketing secret. People are um, more interested in, so how do I say this? It's a secret, so be careful. Do you want to share? I know, right? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. And now I feel like I just lost the words. Um <laughs> And I don't want to say it wrong because then I'll sound dumb, but. <laughs> well, then it's just a game of telephone and you fucked up well, here's, the secret that was here's, being whispered. Here's a, different, here's a different example that speaks to the same point. Improvement doesn't sell. Yeah, That's kind yeah. of an interesting thing. It's harder to sell people on improvement than it is something else. I think what I was trying to think of was um, people are more afraid of losing than they are. Uh, more, than they, people are more afraid to lose something then they are motivated to gain something. So if you can speak to someone not losing something, you can influence them more than if you speak to them gaining something. Yeah. yeah. Way more emphasis on negativity than on positivity. Also, if you think about our thoughts, like the average person has way more negative thoughts than positive thoughts. I'm a so, negative self-talker for motivation. Quit same, being a bitch right? versus, yeah. hey, you can do it. <laughs> Right. There's, and there's some sort of virtue to it as well. But, um, when it comes to 
our society, the way that it's set up now, how safe everything is for the vast majority of people, what Joe Rogan, David Goggins, Jocko Willink, all these guys teach is that you, you just got to do it. That I, That's actually why I love, uh, I, I'm not a huge fan of Nike as a company, but their slogan, just do it, is the most true slogan out of any brand. Yeah. You just, it, it's like, so, and that's going to bring me to this last point I want to make, which is one of the biggest mindset shifts for me that worked, that I think will work for anybody is called the operational mindset. So I'm very philosophical. I think that anyone listening to the pod would hear that. I'd like to talk about the mind and very, you know, ephemeral things. And we get into cinema and culture and all of this stuff. I struggle with taking action. I can, I can come up with cool strategies. I can come up with great ideas. Taking action is very difficult because taking action also means taking risk, right? Mm -hmm. And so the operational mindset teaches you essentially to just do it. We have enough information to plot at least like five steps ahead. So do it plot those five steps and take the steps and do what you have to do. And you, you can predict that it's going to feel very uncomfortable. You can predict that you're going to be afraid. You can predict how you're going to feel. And all you need is a system to overcome how you're going to feel at each step. Hmm. Because what we see, what we see with your podcast, right, is that you just doing it as either maximal or minimal amount of work that you put into it has generated results. You have more and more people. I think I saw over 170 episodes so far, right? You're 181, my friend. 181. You know how many people are thinking about doing a podcast but won't even take the first step? I do. I've had a couple people on and like they were like, yeah, I'm doing a podcast. And then they have like seven episodes and like it just stops. And you're yeah, like... So consistency is, an, is another one of those things, yeah. right? So... But I when think you just keep doing it. I, yeah, I didn't mean to take away from your point. But yeah, like it's just like, yeah, just do it. Ma maximum when, or minimum. When you tell me like you look at just 1% of Rogan's income from Spotify and it's like, how could I, I? I couldn't do that. You could by just doing it, right? Like by just by being consistent, by taking the steps, by plotting. And the most difficult thing is overcoming the feelings at every turn. Most people, I think 70% of people, so I use the uh, Myers-Briggs type indicator a lot in my work. It's honestly kind of like cast aside as the redheaded stepchild, the psychology, but uh, it has been incredibly successful for me. And I know that um, most major Intel agencies use the MBTI when profiling targets because it freaking works, it's operational. And so the MBTI is broken up into several different essentially innate traits that people will fall on naturally. And one of our two of them, which are the equal opposites on a spectrum are feeling and thinking. And so 70 plus percent of Americans fall on the feeling side of that trait. And so what those traits dictate is how you make decisions. Right. So if you fall on the feeling side of that spectrum, more often than not, your decisions are going to be very emotionally based. You will rationalize them with logical thought, but you've already made your decision in a split second through emotion. And actually, most people are like that. It's just that if you fall on the thinking side, it's easier or more natural for you 
to take the extra time to make the more rational decision than the emotional decision. It'll kind of override the, the emotional part. Right. You can kind of tell this from people through the words that they use. So like you'll hear, I say a lot, like, I feel, I feel this, I feel that. I've heard you say it. I guarantee we're probably both on the, I know I'm on the feeling side. And I think that you would be on the feeling side based off of some of the conversation that we've had. Not to say that we don't use logic because we definitely do. It's just when it comes to like, think of if your resources are completely depleted, if you're naked, scared, alone, hungry, thirsty, and you have to make a, a decision very quickly, you're probably going to fall back on an emotionally based decision. 70 plus percent of people make those kinds of decisions. So what does that mean when we talk about taking risk, when we talk about taking action and taking action is scary? We decide not to yeah. because we're trying to, that was the other thing, people avoid pain. Yeah. Like we avoid pain more then we go towards pleasure. Yeah. So when we can predict that we're going to be afraid because starting a podcast is scary or start quitting your job and starting a copywriting business is scary. When we can predict that it's going to be scary and there's all these things that can go wrong, it's easier to just say, rationalize why, oh, I can't do it because I don't have any time. No, it was an emotional decision because you were afraid and you're rationalizing about not having time to do it, right? So Jocko, David Goggins, Joe Rogan, they all talk about just doing it despite the fear. That's the big thing that I work on now, doing it despite the fear. And it's really paid off. I was really afraid to have kids. <laughs> and like, it's also the greatest thing in the world that I'm not really that afraid anymore, like now that I have a kid, right? Yeah. Like it seriously does pay off, man. And that's what, I, that's what I hope, like anyone who comes to future copywriting, anyone who meets me, like I want them to walk away taking something like that away from our conversation, you know? Yeah, and not, not to over talk you, man, but when I heard Jordan Peterson say, any decision is a good decision, if you're smart enough to realize that if it doesn't work out the way you took the step, like yeah. if you're, if, okay, this step will get me towards hot. Well, I got cooler. Yeah. Guess what you just learned? Where not to go. Yeah. Turn around. Absolutely. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, why they say like success is like a series of failing. Yeah. Grounds, the fucking right? yarn ball versus a straight line. And like, yeah. I, I think that has started to resonate me. You know, it really pisses me off that, um, and maybe this is why I secretly hate you, that like this philosophy, uh. I'm kind of vibing with in like later thirties, early forties for me. Yeah. And it like, I, um, and one of my fears as a dad is that like my daughter, when I was talking about like, you're 12, you're not working hard enough. And I'm like, take a fucking step. You say you want something, make a step. And I don't know yeah. how to balance it because I yeah. feel like I'm compensating for the fact that I spend so much time not like taking that step just to be like, see what the fuck happens instead of play it safe, you know? Yeah, I don't want to give you parenting advice because you've been a dad way longer than I have. <laughs> but I can say, and you've been a teacher way long than way longer than I was. I ever, think that uh, makes me a worse dad, man, because you go with the worst case scenario. No, seriously, like when you talk about negatives, you think yeah. of the negative situation. Like, dude, you see whatever fucking hundred and fifty kids a day, the bottom yeah. five, ten that fuck with you stay in your mind. The top one hundred yeah, don't. Do. 
and you focus on those yeah. traits and then you start to associate them. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I totally get that. But no, I what's totally the parenting advice? Give me parenting advice. I shouldn't have cut you off. That's poor. No, 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 no. I, I, what me and my wife try to essentially live by when it comes to our daughter and cause we, we talk about, we have that same conversation all the time and it kind of comes down to like, they're going to learn from you one way or the other. They're going to learn either because you told them and they might not learn what you're telling them. They'll learn something though, or they're going to learn just by watching what you do. Yeah. And I know growing up and for myself and so many people that I know was very, very similar, which was, there was a lot of do as I say, not as I do Yeah. type of teaching. And when it comes to psychology, that's the word, like, that's the, te- that's the least effective type, type of teaching, yeah. right? The most effective type of teaching is leading by example, right? Yeah. It's not enough to say, hey, make sure you take the first step and then you don't ever take your first step. It's way better to just take the first step and like, it's a given, you know? So I don't think you have anything to worry about, man. You've obviously taken the first, you've taken 181 steps <laughs> at minimum on the podcast. And uh, I truly believe, like I told you on the phone, man, this is such a cool concept for the podcast. I've never heard of this concept before, just getting to know people, uh, especially like kind of everyday regular people. There's something very voyeuristic about it that is super tantalizing for people. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but it's super interesting for people. And uh, that's I think it, it can be very, very, very successful and eventually replace your teaching job. If that's what you want. Yeah, do I mean, fuck. That's an interesting <laughs> conversation. But yeah, like, I don't know, man. We'll, it, we'll talk about that more. Yeah. We'll talk nah, about dude, off we'll, the pod. <laughs> yeah, man. And I know you, you've got your daughter. I want to hold you up all night. But man, thank you, Will. Um, or And thank your avatar, Bill, for taking all this time. Um, <laughs> and just talking about shit. It's really funny that um, I was reading a couple of your blog posts and stuff, which do have links are well written and you can kind of see like the marketing way that they're written and they're almost mm-hmm. like templatey if that makes yeah. sense i don't know if that's an insult but like it's like you can see the formation of why this is appealing because it keeps leading you down to this yeah. thing but then you get enough information where you're like oh there's value yeah so let me so, continue yeah i think i know what you're talking about when it comes to the templatey thing so if anyone goes to the future copywriting website what they're going to see if they read the blog is like bolded headlines like bold uh and then non-bold and bold and non-bold yeah and then i also use a lot of numbering and it's very intentional so it's i'll just give a quick copywriting lesson if that's okay yeah quick, dude, absolutely time. so when it comes to copywriting it's the opposite of academic writing and it's the opposite of creative writing because academic and creative writing, academic writing like puts the most important thing, the thesis, not, it's not the first thing that you read. They kind of give you a lot of context before making the thesis. With creative writing, it's all about transporting you into a fictional universe. Copywriting is all about giving you essentially value right here, right now And the type of copywriting that I do, which is direct response marketing or informed by direct response marketing is asking you to do a very specific thing when it comes to sales specifically, it's asking you to do a very specific thing. 
um, which is either buy or don't buy, but it's your choice, right? And so what we found through testing and through research and all of this stuff is that the bold headlines, if I've done my job well, and there's going to be times where I don't do my job well, but if you go through it, you could read just the headlines and get the point of the entire article. You don't have to read anything else. For sure. Uh, and the reason that we do that is because it is proven through research that people do not read. That's not the first thing they do. They skim, scan, and scroll. It's really hard to, dude. Like I'm a reading specialist and I mm -hmm. have to remind myself going through articles. Like motherfucker, yep. stop skipping. Get back to yes. the middle and finish the paragraph. We skim, scan, and scroll, exactly. So that's why there's the bolded things there. The other part of the template is putting the bottom line up front. I try my best to say the most important, impactful thing right away. And not only that, but even within its position in the sentence. Hmm. And that would have, we'd have to get into examples. So I'm not going to jump into examples with that <laughs> one, but that's, that's one that I've, that's been on my mind a lot recently. And I've been having a lot of fun with it, like moving the keywords to the front of the sentence, because what's the first thing that someone, the first thing someone's going to read is the first one to three words of the first sentence. And they're not going to finish that sentence. They're going to move to the next sentence. So if you move those keywords to the front of the sentence, the things that are going to, that are going to get their attention, because that's what we're fighting, man. We're fighting for their attention. Yeah. Uh, and if you have something valuable, like you should fight for their attention. You you want to help someone, right? And uh, and if it's something that can help them, fight for their attention. Let them know why they should read it. Uh, so those are the main ones: is that bolded formatting, that bottom line up front, and then the other thing that I do, which is super important, is I try not to use big words. I've probably used a lot of big words while talking. I love big words. I love vocabulary. When it comes to copywriting, big words don't sell because they're confusing. They take too long. You burn too many calories trying to understand the word. And so this is why. So you mentioned Jordan Peterson. I'm subscribed to his newsletter. The guy needs a new fucking copywriter. I tried to be his copywriter. No I reached shit. out to him. Yeah, no shit. I reached out to him a bunch of times. Jordan Just, Peterson light. Yeah, for real, man. Dude, it's, it's it, like, dude it, that, that's a real thing where I listen to him and I... I, I, I I don't flaunt myself like an academic because I'm a fucking middle school reading specialist, but I feel like I'm above the median of America yeah. with what I read. Yeah. It's hard to yes. listen to that he, dude for more than four sentences and follow super, his train of thought. And he's analyze. very intelligent and he's super academic. Imagine how powerful his message would be simplified so that the average everyday person could not only understand it, but could understand it in less than two minutes. Yeah, I don't know Dude, if you can with him. Well, maybe you, you could, can. Could, I've done it. Yeah? I've could, done it. Yeah, I sent him examples of what I would, how I would do it. No shit. And no mm. response or did you get a meet or anything? No, no response. He's got, he's so big. Like now he just joined the Daily Wire. So he's like even more untouchable, right? At that gotcha. point. But he's got... He already, at the point where I was trying to reach out to him, which is about uh, last August, and I was pushing it quite a bit, sending him emails to different emails, contacting different people in his team that I'd find on LinkedIn. Gotcha. He's got so many gatekeepers. 
that getting actually into the decision maker, which is probably mm. like his daughter is the closest to the I decision I was about maker. to bring up like his, it, it seems like. Yeah. So I'll get there. I'm going to be his copywriter at one point. Uh, yeah. Dude, I it's going to happen. I have tickets to go see him next year. I'm bringing him the shit that I wrote for him. I'm going to fucking meet him. Getting on stage. A jump on stage. He's going to be blown away by the copy. <laughs> Dude, I love that because, and just to reinforce the value of what you're doing, one of the values I bring, and like I work with teachers, the best compliment I get is they're like, you know, you really know how to like make shit simple. Yeah. And I'm like, that's yeah, a but, superpower, dude. but like, that's how a fucking 12 year old understands how to write an essay. Yeah. And, but it's a fucking superpower because we take especially intelligent people, man, we take our ability to understand things for granted. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. I, I even feel a little cocky agreeing with that. Like, cause it puts me in the <laughs> position of being an intelligent person, but I kind of like, yeah, yeah, like you kind of need to like lean in and embrace it a little bit. Um, but like you do like fast people take for granted, like whatever comes naturally, it's yeah. hard to understand why it doesn't come naturally to others as well. Right. And it, it's not just intelligent. I mean, you could say any group of people take whatever yeah, any their skill. experiences for granted. And it's typically one of the things that I think why people have trouble moving up and out of what they know, hmm. because they just kind of take it for granted. That's how it'll always be. You know, it's not a conscious thing. It's definitely a subconscious thing, but it's when we tell ourselves those stories they become like subroutines, like like uh, programs that just run in the matrix of our mind yeah. on a loop without consciously thinking about them. And all of our new information and decisions are filtered through them. And that's how we come to our decisions. It's almost like a canyon. If you picture a river just fucking eroding and now like yep. that's the only place when it rains, where does that water go? In the thing in the that canyon, was fucking yeah. channeled. So yeah. it's like, damn the river create a new path like you can do it yeah and then just create a see where path. the water exactly. goes so if like you throw some up. dynamite in there dude take it back to like fucking old west western expansion shit just blow fucking mountains out of the way uh, dude, <laughs> fuck I, it dude i want to build a ranch instead i want to grow some yeah. corn <laughs> i think did i did i tell you that i had found my dream ranch in montana because no. the winters in New Hampshire are going to be way too harsh. That so I'll go wind. for the winters in Montana. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about that wind. Although I don't know what winters in Montana are like. Uh, I, they're harsher than anything I know of, that's for sure. Yeah. But I don't know if they're going to be as harsh as New Hampshire. New Hampshire seems like a beast of its own. Yeah, it, Especially it, if you go north to the White Mountains. Yeah, it's like that's why people write up there. Because what the fuck I, else do you I do? That's what I want to do. That's what I want to. So I have a dream of living in a cabin in the, in the, they call it the North country. I did a lot of research on New Hampshire, man. <laughs> of having a cabin in the North country, super remote, like Berlin, New Hampshire or some shit. And I just want to write a fucking fantasy novel, like some, some J.R. Tolkien shit that's mm -hmm. inspired by that the land of New Hampshire that's inspired by the forest. It's like, what's it like being in that forest? What sort of like creatures would be in that forest? What sort of mythology could come out of that? Hmm. Dude, I, 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 
back at, I wrote down about 2.010, and then I think it's been 30 minutes after the copywriting. But I think my original point was, I couldn't believe we didn't get into your copywriting until fucking two hours into it, to be honest that, with you, man. I thought like I was going to like lead with that shit, but like... Well, it's not, that's me also being a bad marketer, right? Like I, I can market other people's shit, but I have, a, I, I have trouble marketing my own shit. And I, uh, I could have steered it that way as well, but I also very much enjoy talking with you. Yeah, dude, well, no, you're being you, man, which I appreciate. Like, it, it's g getting to know you and, like, understanding where you come from with your thoughts and how to simplify and how you look at shit to me is super interesting because if you're someone with words, like, it's interesting when people have all these thoughts, but they're able to express them and they're able to put them out there, man. You know, yeah. and, um, but like what I was getting at is like, I feel like we could probably just bullshit about writing and expression alone for another couple fucking hours. Probably. <laughs> no doubt. Um, dude, well, I'm so excited that like, I know you that's, um, neat to me. The fact that <laughs> I talked to a guy like you, man, I so am thankful that, uh, you went past whatever that weird ass message and, um, spent time letting me and letting people get to know you, man. Um, I really do appreciate it. I appreciate it too, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I'd be happy to come back on the podcast when I've uh, hit that million dollars or something. And we'll talk more about it. Dude, that'd be dope as shit. Or fucking like, <laughs> I mean, like, dude, the Jordan Peterson goal, the fact that you have those balls, I'm like, that's that next step shit. That's like, yeah. so dude, this, and maybe this will be the last thing. I'm so sorry to take up your time. Come there on. was a guy that went on Rogan who wrote a book about like drinking and how that, what that effect, what the effect was on society. And oh, I, interesting. I forget his name, but basically before he went on Rogan, I read an article about his book in the Atlantic. And then I was like, I want to talk to this motherfucker. And I got to the public, I got to his assistant and then they start asking me things. And like, I got three emails back and forth and wow. then I finally got the no and then two weeks later, he's on Rogan. And I'm like, who the fuck was I thinking I'm going to get a Rogan dude? You Look know what I'm saying? Dude. But like, I love the fact that you're like, I'm getting Peterson. And like, yeah. that's that mentality of like, well, fuck that guy. Well, not fuck that guy, but fuck that guy. Like, yeah. just go for the next guy kind of a thing, man. And I, I feel well, like that's the mentality. I think your story is like more powerful than maybe it seems like you're giving credit because the three emails back and forth with this guy who just he like went on Rogan, right? Coming to the conclusion of who the fuck was I, wrong conclusion, no offense. Conclusion could be something closer to like, I almost got a guy that fucking went on Rogan. Like right. you're that much closer to getting the guy that would go on Rogan or just going on Rogan yourself, yeah. right? Because <laughs> you're a very interesting guy to talk to as well, man. And so I... I'm done with limits. Yeah. I think ultimately I'm done with limits. I don't want to program myself to be limited. I want to reprogram myself to be the fucking master of my universe. Yeah. Fuck everything else. You know? Yeah. No, I think I'm done with limits. Yeah. Like that. I don't know that that's the mentality. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's got, I mean, otherwise it's just like complacency. You know, and, and that's fine. That's fine for a lot of people. I just don't want it to be fine for me. It's been fine for me for a long time and there's nothing wrong with complacency. I just don't want it. You know, I, I would like to be Jordan Peterson's uh, copywriter. And if I'm not Jordan Peterson's copywriter, I will just be the next Jordan Peterson. <laughs> like, why, why stop there? Right. <laughs> like, 
I'll talk about psychology too. I just won't fucking, I don't know, man. <laughs> Way to stop yourself. I'll just right. cut myself off before I get deeper into it. <laughs> Dude, Will, man, thank you so much. Enjoy your daughter, wife, and uh, the rest of the night, man. And um, I'll be seeing you wherever, social media. If you're making New Hampshire, hit me up in Delaware. I will definitely be hitting you up when I come to the, we're talking about New Hampshire, uh, Maine, Rhode Island, like a whole trip next, uh, probably next fall. Oh, so we no want to see the colors. Okay. So I'll be in touch with you before then, man. I think we're going to, we're going to stay in touch. Yeah. And dude, if whatever, I got a couple bedrooms upstairs. So if you and the fam need a crash pad I, in Southern Delaware, um, home of Biden, it. feel free. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Same, same goes for you when you come out here, man. We got an extra room and everything. If, if you ever make it to, to Oregon or wherever it is that we are, then uh, you're always welcome to stay with us. Love it. All right, All right man. man. Yep. We'll talk soon. Bye. See ya. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally... If you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.